Well, one of the four principal functions of the CIA is to gather intelligence and, and ideally forward it to the, the president, the users of information, the policymakers, as they say. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars, the covert action that's written and talked about so much, like what's happening in Nicaragua today from Honduras. Another thing is to disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds, and this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you have contact with a journalist, you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. But you do buy his confidence with true stories? You buy his confidence and set him up. We've seen this happen in, uh, recently with Jack Anderson, for example, who, who has his intelligence sources, and he has also admitted that he's been set up by them. You know, every fifth story just simply being false. Uh, you also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense, to make them your agent so that you can control what they do, so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them. So you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the Church Committee brought it out in 1975, and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, January 27th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Important show, I think, with what's going on in regard to the rising civil war conversation. Now, I'm going to talk about this today. I've been following this story since it really started. I've, I've been very skeptical about this, as you might expect, and I've just been kind of battling what I think is most important to cover. Now, clearly, this story is building into something, and I wanted to discuss this today. Maybe not from the angle you might think, but I, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of that there are truths to both sides of the two-party illusion narrative, as there usually are. You know, there, weaponized migration is a very real concept. I mean, it's been studied. It's, it's a very real political manipulative tool. As well as the fact that we're, I don't think anybody should be debating whether or not our intelligence or foreign intelligence utilize these things with their own agents, with people that they could pay to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, these are all very static, basic realities. Now, whether that is some of this, all of this, one person, you know, I think that's the problem here is that there's so many partisan assumptions taking place in all of this. I very much think that there is some of that taking place. And I'm going to show you where, at the very least, I think it makes the most sense today in regard to foreign policy. But at the same time, the conversation specifically around Texas and the border is a very interesting one. One that I think we all need to actually have, aside from the you know fever pitch partisan screaming that we see every time. And that's not to say this is not important. The state's rights aspect of this, 
you, if you've been following this show, I've been talking about this as and anyone that cares about constitutional rights has been talking about this for a very long time because it's something that has been slow more than any of the, I mean, almost even more than something like the second amendment, which is also in my opinion, under attack, manip, you know, to a lot of reasons, but more so than even that, I argue states' rights have been chipped away at, manipulated with very little conversation around it, which shows you, I think that's how the partisan manipulation is meant to go. Not to say that the Second Amendment conversation is unimportant. You see what I'm saying? It's still very important. But states' rights are a central part of this. I mean, you could talk about entire, like, in my opinion, the federal government in and of itself today is unconstitutional because of basic things like the very presence of the Bureau of Land Management or like the, the federal government has a, and we'll get into this today, right in the beginning, has a very specific mandate. Just like the just like federal judges in the Supreme Court really do. And they often wade into the political side of things when really it's very clear. So what's going on in Texas, in my opinion, I, for the most part, side with with what Greg Abbott is saying. But at the same time, I don't trust Abbott at all. I think he's very manipulative and I think he's got foreign you know, other aspects to this that we'll get into. But at the same time, and the other part of it is if you do believe there's an actual threat and this get this would change whether you think he has a right to to defend himself, which is an interesting stance and argument to make with what's going on in the larger foreign policy conversation. But we're going to go through this today, and I'll give you my stance on states' rights, on what Texas seems to be doing, and even the broader concept of just immigration and how ridiculous it has all gotten. You know, where literally now, from one side of this, everybody in any context that's involved in this is illegal, even though that's not really the case. There, there, whether you're talking about some people that are, in fact, just seemingly trying to go through this process, but at this point, it seems like Texas might even just be blocking most everything that's happening. And just from my opinion, I mean, see, kind of hard to see what's really going on at the moment, but also just that the, the there are people that are being used and manipulated, as we talked about with weaponized migration. Does that make them themselves a problem or or something to be derided and dismissed and attacked? I, not really, especially when you realize that most of these people involved in this weaponized migration, if you think that's what's happening, are largely in doing so or involved with it because of a belligerent U.S. foreign policy that has driven this group. And we, I'll go through all of this. But the point is, I think it's much more nuanced than we're seeing. And then over the top of all of these things, which, again, there's a lot of real parts to it, I believe they're being played. I think this is another example of the MAGA trap as I coined it, as I put in the title, this is the new January 6th, right up before the election. All of a sudden, all the fever pitch of all the people you might expect, all of the partisan players are screaming civil war. And it, it even if they, even if that's not real, it still could go there. It's not something that should be dismissed. But the fact that it's almost that their rhetoric more than anything is what's driving it to this point seems to be very coordinated, in my opinion, that is going to, if we allow it, possibly even drive us to civil war, maybe for a purpose. But I don't think this is some China controlling Biden or some Biden trying to manipulate. I think it's your government trying to manipulate you. And this is always why the partisan sides hate what we talk about. Now, we're also going to get into the the International Court of Justice ruling, which I really wanted to get to yesterday, but you know, life happened and I wasn't able to. I just, most of the show planned yesterday, aside from the Texas part, which sort of took the place of the COVID-19 stuff I was going to talk about today, but I'm going to get to a show tomorrow as well, and I will ultimately cover all that. And there's some really alarming stuff in regard to the unwanted proteins in the conversation of the COVID-19 injections and how alarmingly that overlaps with our discussion about 
engineering plants to produce certain proteins or the idea that certain proteins can be used to manipulate the body or ferritin proteins in general, but a whole other conversation for tomorrow. Now, stay tuned to the end. A lot to get to, a lot to talk about. But I want to start with this really nice letter that somebody sent me. You know, amazing, you know, and, and by the way, on that note in general, all the, you know, our our addresses down below, it's, I, it's important to keep that conversation going outside of the digital world, right? And I always love getting notes and, and you know, just kind words or, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong. But this is a way that I think our, our, you know, a lot of our donations come through the mail right now because of everything that's going on. But just thank you to all of you out there who continue to support us and send words of encouragement and so on. But I wanted to read what, what Diana here wrote. Nothing personalized here. So you guys, you know, I always wonder sometimes whether you guys even want your first name to be put out here. And I get it, but I, I think it's important. And I really want to thank her in general. It's just what she wrote. If you, and this is a quote. If you want to awaken all of humanity, then awaken all of yourself. If you want to eliminate the suffering of the world, then eliminate all that is negative in yourself. Truly, the greatest gift you have to give is that of your own self-transformation outstanding. I'm not even sure. Actually, I forgot I was going to type it in and find out where it came from. I forgot. But either way, obviously, this kind of is another, uh, uh, I don't want to say an adaptation, who knows what came first, but sort of like the, you know, be the change idea, which really the full thing is, you know, if you change the tendencies within yourself, the tendencies of the world will also change. That's where that kind of truncated quote really comes from. That's, that, that, that's an important one, right? To me, this is about the understanding that we can always look outward. We can always find problems and things around us. We can always point to somebody else or somebody's administration, or if we just vote that person in, everything will change. When the reality always comes back to, it's you. It's what you decide to change within yourself and the actions you take and change the world around you in that small little area that you affect. And truly, if we can do that individually, we could truly change a lot if we just do it from, you know, as opposed to looking outward and making it more about what we think the larger entity is doing and forget to care about the smaller things in our lives. I just think it's a wonderful quote that I really think we should consider. Oh, and then I see if I didn't put this, I would have forgot links. I wanted to tell you guys that in general, uh, just a note that so I almost always like I did today, I bookmark all of the tabs before the show starts. Unfortunately, on the last show, I forgot to do that and just circumstance my computer crashed in the process of the after pro of the show and i lost all the links which you guys know is very rare for us which frustrates me because it's gonna all of the information in that show i'm sure you guys can see the url in the show you can see what the titles are you could find them but just i think it's a point to recognize that this is how far out of our way we go to make sure you have everything you need except the show yesterday where i or before yesterday where i was i lost them i just think that it's very because most platforms don't do that Right. And then we have, you know, I think it's important that you do always get all the source material for you to look at, for you to come to your own conclusions and and maybe disagree with the way I put it together. Right. But I apologize for even though the crash wasn't necessarily my fault for not doing that ahead of time. I got to be better at that because there's so much manipulation going on. Nonetheless, it's too bad. All the links were you know lost. And so it's going to be a little more difficult for you. But, you know, we do it usually. So back to the point of the show today. Let's start with Texas. Now, here is a Zero Hedge article entitled Border Patrol Says Agents Will Not Remove Texas Razor Wire Barriers. And I just want to start with this. So it's kind of like the current, this is from today, and we'll go through some of the current information, but we'll also kind of go back a couple of days, like Supreme Court discussion and, you know, what, how, what bearing that may have. So this is in regard to the Razor, which is so interesting to me that this all seems to, obviously it's about immigration, 
But really, that's the that that I mean, that's the primary part of it, obviously. But it seems the focal point became whether or not they should have this razor wire. It just seems so benign at the at, with everything going on, even just in this country, that they would end up bringing this like civil war level talk down to whether they can or cannot remove the razor wire. I just everything about this feels very disingenuous, very manipulative. And that's, again, not to say that the migration discussion is unimportant or even and, and it's in fact the opposite. It is very important, as well as the state's right conversation, state's rights conversation. But just because things are true doesn't mean they can't be weaponized against you. Now, it says, in defiance of the Biden administration's wishes, senior figures within Customs and Border Protection have stated that there is no plans to have Border Patrol agents remove razor wire barriers erected along sections of the border of the Texas National Guard. But that's a little bit of that's the framing is a little bit omitting some larger parts, which are the, the well, I think it actually says it in this that really they're not saying that they don't they have no plans in this exact moment but should anything arise where the necessity becomes they should they will so it's kind of a middle ground it's not like they're saying in a way they're citing with the fact that they have to leave it there it's it's sort of like I, I, the way i read this is the border patrol i think agrees to 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 the more so than with biden's orders that what texas is doing is is stopping illegal migration immigration Nonetheless, I think they state very clearly that should they need to get past that to do their job, which is what Biden would be ordering, that they would remove it. As it says here, while this issue plays out in the courts, the relationship between the Border Patrol, Texas DPA, Department of Public Safety, and the Texas Military Department remains strong. That's according to the official, adding that our focus is and will always be the mission of protecting this country and its people, which it should be. Right. It should not be about the inner dynamics of the political game. It should be about whether or not this is the safest for, you know, or rather whether this adheres to the law and then also whether or not it's humane. Like that does matter in this conversation. Right. That's the problem is that you get one side in the two party illusion. And this is always how it works. That that is basically like the only thing that matters is human life and literally nothing else matters in the context of protecting that, which there's a level of that that's, that humanity should agree with. But it's not at all cost, no matter what, especially when people aren't in immediate risk of dying. It's like saying they might trip into this razor wire. The point is that obviously there's more to it than just worrying about how they may be hurt. On the other side of it, you've got people on the, the Republican side that act like the only thing that matters at the expense of anybody's life or suffering is that we adhere to what we see as the law. When I say we see as the law, it's because there's a lot of points we'll get into that make it not so clear. The Supreme Court. You know, the idea that ultimately a federal government, you could make an argument, has more of a uh, legitimate argument to defend the international border, right? And that, or excuse me, the national border as opposed to the state borders. And this is both, essentially, right? There's a lot. And on top of that, if the Biden administration simply makes the argument that this is what we're going to be doing, even if it seems to circumvent the law, that happens every single day in this country. Governors, presidents. Long before, I mean, Trump did it multiple times. My point in saying is that if they say we're going to give them asylum, there's an argument there about whether you agree with that. And even you could make a legal argument for whether that does in fact circum, you know, is just illegal because here's the law and that's not what the law says. But how many times in history, and I'm not saying this makes it right, have any president simply written an executive order which circumvents a certain law or a constitutional right? So I just find it very, and right now you could find a hundred examples all over the country that are, in my opinion, far more rebel, relevant and important than, than that specific point. But anyway, the bottom line is it's a choice, in my opinion, to make this as real and right. You know, it, it's hypocritical, I think, to focus only on this, which continues to make me feel like this is more about driving conflict for some other purpose. Now, whether that's our government in order to 
keep us divided and trap, which I think is a large part of this to basically recreate the January 6th possibility. We'll get into the new truckers convoy that's happening about this in the United States. I mean, it's really simple to see how this could devolve right into exactly what they want because people are talking violence level. I mean, even Trump's comments talking about sending the National Guard, they're already in the level of violence just by default by saying we're going to we're going to take our border back. We're going to send the National Guards from our states to fight off the federal side. I mean, how do you not see that as an already at a potentially violent level? So right now, I would argue they have not something that they could try to mobilize about trying to claim insurrection or all, not to say that that's legitimate. They did it for far less in January 6th. I think this is part of it. Now, he says on the ground, we continue to work alongside these valuable partners in that endeavor. The official continued adding bottom line, Border Patrol has no plans to remove infrastructure placed by Texas along the border. And this is the part that was that's important, I think. Our posture remains the same. If we need to access the area for emergency response, which is what Biden seems to make it about, you know, that we can't get there to help people who are suffering, which, you know, this this is where you get into the line about what's more important being a human and caring that people are suffering. And I'm not even saying that that's what he's trying to do. Or is it more important to uphold the law of the, of the, of the, of the border of Texas? Right. I mean, you know, if you can't get through to save somebody, maybe drowning, you know, I mean, you could, there's I mean, both sides have an argument to where is it our obligation, but should we do it because we're just humans and we help people? You know, again, the, the real point comes down to whether that's even what Biden is actually caring about. I don't think that. I think that's an emotional argument meant to make whatever he's trying to accomplish seem like that's what they care about. You know, I'm jaded, obviously. I don't think any of these people have your interest in mind, whether it's the Republicans, the, any of them. I think it's all about their political benefit or the larger agenda. But what it's saying here is the emergency response. So if they decide to argue that, well, we have to get through, well, they, as it says, we will do so. So they'll cut it down. Should, I guess, Biden argue that they need to get there for some emergency reason? So you see how it's not as sound as a lot of re Republicans are making it out to be. They've defied the order and they won't do it. Well, that's not really what they said. It's always somewhere in the middle with the two-party game, isn't it? All the screamers on both sides. Our posture remains the same. It says if we need to access it for mercy response, we will do so. When that happens, we will coordinate with Texas Department of uh, the DPS and the military, what was it, the uh, Department of Public Safety and the military department which means that they will do it, but they will coordinate with them to achieve it. And that right there may be where they stand in the way and say, well, no. And then, I mean, how do you go past that? There, That seems, I mean, ultimately one of them would have to back down for it not to become violence. And I don't think any of these people, the individuals on either side really want that. All right. So you've got the governor versus the, pre versus the president and it's sort of a continual standoff. Now it says the border patrol union has also issued a statement outlining that agents will not interfere with Texas national guard members carrying out quote lawful operations. Well, that's pretty all over the place today, right? One side says there, I mean, the, the, this is what I was talking about with somebody earlier <clears throat> is it's pretty flimsy these days because see people and look, there's a valid point to be made. I make it all the time about law just because something's a law does not make it legal, which does make sense. Just because something is a law does not make it constitutional. Right. So the point is, if you feel a law is what they're, you know, you argue it like we point, like I'm saying before about some kind of policy that says we can offer them asylum and they say, well, here's the law that they're not following. Well, the left is going to say, well, there's a humanitarian necessity or, you know, whatever. So it all just becomes kind of moot when you see that they neither side seems to care about what the law really is when it gets in the way of their agenda. And that's the way we have to look at this, right? If you always look at this from a two-party lens, you'll one side will seem much more rosy than the other when usually it's just your government from different angles trying to manipulate you. Now, I'm going to get into tomorrow 
a point that I was going to get into today, but this took up more time than I expected in regard to the election and how this overplays it. Matt Taibbi wrote a really interesting article that I'm going to connect back with that Time Magazine discussion about the shadowy group that saved democracy by literally ruining democracy or however you want to look at it. It's hilariously stupid. And it just shows you that when they do it, it's okay. Well, you know, when the other guy does it, it's terrorism. It's the same damn thing. But that's important, I think, because this seems to dovetail right with that. And in, in the discussion, it seems that they're pointing to this kind of thing already and have been all year that the MAGA terrorists are going to make this problem and they're going to use that to justify action. The left's already saying that the right's already saying they're going to do it. So we're going to do it first. And so both of them are going to cheat everywhere they can at the under the justification is the other side doing it. It's just it's just cartoonish. So consider that in this larger conversation. I think that there's more to the election side of this as well, but also foreign policy. It says we want to be perfectly clear. And this is the this is continuing from the same group speaking from the Border Patrol. There is no fight between rank and file Border Patrol agents and the Texas National Guard, Governor Abbott or the Texas Department of Homeland uh, the, the Public Safety. So they're just making it clear, like, look, it, and I'll finish the last part. It says it may make flashy headlines, but it simply isn't true. Now, of course, they could be lying about that, but that seems interesting, right? You're getting all of this really crazy talk about how everything's coming down to them. They're standing off at the border and they've defied the order. I mean, you'll see that stuff all over. Doesn't seem to be actually what happened, does it? They're saying, look, there's no big debate. We're all in line with each other. Like, we'll go through if we have to. They're telling us we don't. It's interesting. It could boil to something serious. I don't think it's there at this moment with what they're saying, but of course, they could be lying. Now, it says the development comes as Texas Governor Greg Abbott told Tucker Carlson the state is prepared for conflict with the federal government. Think about saying that. You're a governor of Texas, and all you're debating is whether or not you should be removing razor wire, and you come out and say, we're prepared to go to war with the government? I mean, look, I am not somebody who is going to ignore the legality of any citizen of this country having the right to stand up and say, you are not, like, you know, you have the right to alter or abolish it should they not be meeting what you believe to be their mandate. That's the Constitution, paraphrasing. So look, I'm, I'm, I, if, if a governor argues that what you're doing violates something larger, I understand the argument to be able to say that you can stand against that. But to go from this to prepared for conflict, I mean, how, I mean, and I'm going to get into why I don't think Abbott is somebody anybody left or right should be trusting, let alone any politician. But to me, this is starting to seem like you are being led by the nose. That's what it feels like to me. Now, it says 25 states have expressed support for Texas, with 10 of them, according to Abbott, deploying their own National Guard. I mean, look, that you could argue that's already at the level of some kind of civil war, where you're deploying National Guard state level to one state to stand against the federal government. I mean, is that not exactly what it looks like? Now, it, but the point would be, is that actually what's happening? It very well may be. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Either it's really happening, which would make me think, again, with the way I see this, which I could be wrong, that it's a foreign entity doing that, right? Or it's not really happening the way it looks like, and that's all of your government using this to manipulate you internally, or a little bit of both. But something tells me there's more to this from the outside that's specifically about foreign entities doing this, and it's not just through Biden. It's whoever, and I, uh, there's a whole point about Israel that I can overlap to this. Now, you may argue that that is where I would go with that because of the way we're looking at the, what's going on in the world today. But I'm not arguing I know that's what's happening. You could research and find an argument that might make China appear to be something. You could always find what you look for, right? But there's some things I think are really relevant and interesting into how it seems Israel might. I mean, I don't see any entity in the world right now that is more desperate to either cover up what's currently going on or rather destabilize entities that seem to be, you know, like 
the United States would have the most ability, the, the strongest ability to stop what they're currently doing. So factor that in into whether they might want to cause larger problems to, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Now it's all hypothetical, but that's where I see this playing out that would make the most sense to me. Now it says one of those states of, is Oklahoma with Governor Clint, uh, Kevin Stilt, uh, Stitt, and we'll play this in a second, saying Friday that we have the right to defend our country against invasion. You see, and so this is just this re- the rhetoric. Invasion? It's certainly possible. The weaponized migration idea is a very real concept, but is that what we see happening? I mean, that's not what I see. Right now, it's the hypothetical. Well, yes, terrorists have been caught crossing the border. Or So again, we'll get into one example that I think is interesting. I'm only saying this is a broad statement. Is that what happened? Are they terrorists? Very well could be. Or are they Western-backed assets? Very well could be. Or are they just Iranians that they claim are terrorists? Very well could be. You know, see my point? It's very easy to throw that term out. But let's just be clear. I do think that there are unsavory characters like you would in any circumstance that have made their way across. And you could argue that the, you know, I don't want to, I don't think it's called, I don't, I really, whether it's an open border policy and that really means that is for you to decide, but just st- taking that as the statement, it's obvious to see that that would increase the likelihood of other people unsavory or otherwise making it across or assets of theirs or other governments, right? So it's not hard to see how this could by default be causing a larger problem. But again, you have to overlap that with the humanitarian side, which does matter, especially when you know that a lot of these people and the real people within all of this are simply being used by these governments and are doing so in their migration because of aggressive foreign policy. But is it an invasion? My point in saying all of that is that what we're certainly looking at right now is the argument that there is an influx and it is a lot of people coming across and that is usually indicative of a lot of bad people. But is there an invasion? Is it immediate? Are we like saying, here's 47 terrorists that we caught today? I don't see that. And maybe you think it's ridiculous for me to take that stance. I just don't think we should be calling this an invasion when we're dealing with human beings that largely are suffering because of your government's policy. We should be aware that that could be abused by your government or by foreign entities, but not immediately go to they're all bad because of a political stance. I mean, don't you see that you're demonizing innocent people because shouldn't you be aiming? I mean, if you're talking about this being a weaponized concept, is that their fault that they're being used? But that's how that ultimately boils down to. It ends up being their illegals. When Again, how do we know that? Have they crossed the border yet? Are they all actively trying to cross illegally? Maybe some of them are going to try to go through the normal way. Like it's just be anybody in these caravans are just deemed illegals, which just shows you how it's just this insensitive mindset, which quite frankly comes down to, in some cases, racism. But an invasion, we should be concerned about that, but let's not jump to conclusions. Now it says White House has refused to rule out Democrat suggestions to federalize the Texas National Guard. Now that's interesting. I don't even know how that would work exactly to federalize the National Guard in Texas. I mean, again, that would look to me like abusing power to in this circum in this situation, which I think all of them are involved with. Now, all that being said, so we're kind of current on where they're staying today. Let's first talk about states' rights. I think this is one of the most important parts of what's happening here. Does Greg Abbott have the right to take control of the border? Well, there's a whole dynamic, isn't there? Because really. It's a federal border, an international, or excuse me, a national border, which, of course, the argument, which we'll get into, is that the government, the federal government, has that right, or rather the mandate to protect that, not Texas. But Texas does, that does align with the Texas border as well. 
So there's an overlap, right? The argument would be when it comes to the national, like, you know, Mexico, that that's the federal government. And that's always how it's pretty much been. The argument today is that they're not doing their job. And that Greg Abbott is arguing that they're an invasion, that they're doing this to protect themselves. And so they stepped in and did this because they're not fulfilling their job. Now, again, you could, for, like a, for court of law, a legal argument, does that stand? Can you simply say they're not doing what I think they should be doing? Therefore, I'm going to jump. Oh, aren't you then breaking the law because you feel that they are too or that you see how fl- slippery this gets? Now, look, to be very clear, from my perspective, from the Constitution's point st- standpoint, I believe that Texas does have the right. If you argue that there is an eminent invasion and the government's not doing anything. So to be very clear about that, if what he's saying you take at face value, of course I believe the Texas state has the right to defend itself against what you would argue is in in flux of people. Now, that doesn't mean, again, getting to the defend yourself point, I'll save that for later. But do you think that's what's actually happening? And do you not, or, or is it not possible that Greg Abbott is abusing the situation to achieve some other aspect? But let's talk about states' rights because people don't even understand this. It's so widely misunderstood. Here is the Tenth Amendment: the powers not delegated to the delegated to the United States, read federal government by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Now, to make this more clear, this is the Article One, Section Eight overview of Congress's enumerated powers. So this is what they're alluding to in this in the in this amendment. Right? So the powers not delegated to them. So in this point which everything else other than what's delegated to the federal government is reserved by the states respectively or the people. So what is delegated to the federal government? And that's what this is talking about. So you'll see very clearly in this they're egregiously outside of their bounds have been for a very long time. And you could argue very clearly that there is something there is what that what the Texas governor is doing. There's some legal avenue to argue he is correct. Now it says the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States, which I'm sure that's probably not even the case. But in regard to the defense of, of the country. Right. So right there is where you would argue that they do have the right to defend the country. Now, if they're not doing that, that's where this argument comes into play. But in that case, would you argue that Greg Abbott should then ignore their orders and go to what he thinks he should be doing himself, assuming that's actually his motive? Or should he petition the Supreme Court or go a different direction? Right. I mean, I, I would be the first to say, well, if there's an actual problem and these people are actually at risk, why would you take time to go through a legal process when you just take the action to protect them? Right. For me, it all comes down to whether you truly think there is a threat impending on the border. I know a lot of people do. You guys can decide for yourselves. Now, on number two, it says borrowing money on the credit of the United States, which, you know, it's like, I, I guess who else? I just hate the fact that our, our, the federal government, which I think is completely illegitimate in my mind, is using you and your taxes to borrow elsewhere to spend on their illegal foreign wars that we don't want. But that's not part of this. To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among several states with the Indian tribes, which they later destroyed and didn't care about, you know, sort of thing like that. Uh, let's see. Number four, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. Now. Naturalization 
is a term that it's more broad, but it's to the admittance of foreigners to the, and to, to the citizenship of the country. So the point would be there that they have the they established the uniform rules of doing so. So you could argue right there, regardless of the threat, that there is a federal oversight to the actual process of this, right? And so ultimately, from a constitution standpoint, you could argue that they have a right to, from a administrative level or a, from the administration, to argue that they can change these things. Right. Like that there's not a static law, but they have the right to, but as long as it's uniform. But, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. I always, in my mind, go back to the concept of states' rights at the core of most everything. Number five, it says the to coin money, regulate the value thereof and the foreign coin, which they've screwed us over a thousand times in that regard. My point is always that, that I, don't, I don't even think they're following most of this, but uh, counterfeiters to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting and securities and current coin of the United States to establish post office and roads to promote the progress of science and useful arts. You see, so none of this applies so far to constitute, I mean, not really, to constitute tribunals inferior, inferior to the Supreme Court to define and punish uh, piracies and felonies committed on the high seas, to declare war, grant letters of, mar uh, of mark reprisal, to make rules concerning captures and, and on land and water, to raise and support armies, to, and that, that's interesting, it says, and shall no, no longer than two years. <laughs> Gotta love that. Appropriation of money to that you shall be for no longer than two, 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 or than two years. Is that being followed? To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for calls, forth the militia to execute the laws of the union, suppress insurrections and repel invasions. So that's important, right? So this is, if you argue that they are not upholding that, I would argue it's incumbent upon on uh, the, the, the Texas governor to take action. I just, frankly, I mean, I know this can be confusing for some people that are stuck in the two-party paradigm, but my point is, legally, I argue that makes sense. But is that actually what Greg Abbott's doing? I don't think so. But it says, to provide for organizing, arming, and displacing the militia, and for governing such parts of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers, and so on. You see where that's going. To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 miles square, and may, by secession, of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States. None of this has to do with that. 18, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution of the, of execution, ex, into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the Constitution in this government of the United States. That's important though. The point is all of this power comes from the Constitution, which is very clear. There's so much going on today that it's completely devoid of any connection to the Constitution. Now, that is clear, in my opinion, right? So all of that is what's delegated to the U.S. federal government. Everything else is reserved to the states, respectively, or the people. So I think that's important to consider, right? I think the federal government has been overstepping, has been ignoring states' rights for as long as I can look back. Now, that may be, in fact, what, the, what is the kind of central ploy to manipulate people like us. Or it may very well mean that very well may be that Greg Abbott is just doing this because he believes in it. I just don't think that. Now, the Supreme Court on the 22nd ruled that Texas can't block federal agents from the border. Now, here again, we come across a very interesting barrier. Now, I'm sure plenty of Republicans, especially after rulings like this, are going to say they're illegitimate and they're corrupt and they're overtaking. Well, that's always the case. They're individuals put in place by other political powers. So clearly, they usually have political influence, even though, as we said, I said before, it's 
basically have one job, uphold the Constitution, which they rarely seem to do, in my opinion. So it's politicized. But the, here's the point. It's still the Supreme Court, which, by the way, when they rule in a way that the Republicans like, well, they adhere to it. And they, it's just like, just like the same foreign policy conversation. So now that the Supreme Court has ruled that they can't do that, and when they continue to do that, well, who's actually breaking the law? Right? It's, a, it's an interesting point, because if you argue that these things have been used and are weaponized and manipulated, well, it's a different dynamic. But at the end of the day, if your argument is Biden is breaking the law by not doing X, Y, and Z, so we have to step in, well, you're doing the same thing. It's just a selective choice to look at this and omit that. This is the two-party paradigm, guys. You know, that's why I'm trying to be very nuanced and clear about my core stance, but we still have to see that these people are manipulating little aspects of it all the way through. So do you feel Supreme Court ruling they can't do that should have been the last point or not? And the next time it goes in your favor and you tell other people they have to abide by it, remember that. I mean, you, my first, I have very little respect for most group, mo, most of these authority entities, but that doesn't mean you can't see the legal dynamic within it. Now, this is from the New Republic. I'm trying to go, you know, different site points from different website, uh, you know, left, right, dynamic, and middle. This is from the 25th. Republicans push Greg Abbott to go all out in border war with Biden. This is from their perspective, obviously. Republicans around the country are throwing their hats behind Texas Governor Greg Abbott amid his escalating border security standoff with the federal government, seemingly attempting to transform the dispute into a civil war, according to several conservative commentators. I mean, it's not hard to see. I think, you know, there's plenty. The, the, that doesn't even matter. You guys can come to your own conclusions about who you think are the people out there doing it. But there are a lot of them, you, people I might cite usually, right, that, that are going right to the level of civil war, which seems very irresponsible, if you want my honest opinion. Because simply putting that into the conversation becomes a very, it drives that thought. Now, I wasn't able to kind of point, the, drive it, uh, follow it back. I'm very curious who was the first person to float the Civil War idea based on this razor wire conversation. I would, If you guys know, and you can prove that it was the first person to say it, I'd be very interested to find out. A lot of times you'll notice in these conversations that it tends to be somebody who is very connected or is, you know, ex-CIA or, you know, whatever it is that say these things and then delete their tweet. That's happening a lot these days. And it's like, so they're almost trying to, even though people save it and we do, but it goes on to say on Wednesday, Abbott declared the influx of immigrants across the border an invasion, a status that Abbott claims supersedes federal mandates and issued a statement on the state's constitutional right to defend itself. So that's the core point for me. Are you, do the, do you really argue that they're in the need to defend themselves? Do you understand that would have to mean like we're literally at the border and we can see them and they're all trying and, you know, they're back, armed or, you know, whatever. If you're literally just talking about an influx of immigration and there's not specifically any immediate threat, it's a nebulous idea that it could be present. That's not enough. Even if you argue that's a concerning reality, that's not enough to argue you're being invaded. Now, that very well could be that extreme. I think there's a lot of manipulation going on, so it's very difficult to take it at face value, and I'll show you what I mean in a second. There's a lot of lies flying around. Another caravan is coming. Oh, nope, that's from last year. You know, it's, there's a lot of that. And, and let's not forget what happened with the Venezuela caravan and all that. Remember that? Did that end everything? That destroyed the country? No. Like, there, it, it, it's very disingenuous to always argue that there is this impending problem just because there are people in need. Now, it can be handled other than pushing them all into the United States. And you could argue it's not necessarily the responsibility of the U.S. government or the state of Texas to deal with people that are asking for help. But there are other things that could be done. But the way this is being used is very is weaponized, in my opinion. 
It says that was just two days after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of President Biden by declaring that Texas went outside of his jurisdiction by erecting makeshift concertina wire fences, which does not seem pretty minute. Like you're really getting that. That's why I think this is sort of being orchestrated. That you're going to argue that by erecting some fences along the border where there's a lot of fences, that somehow that is going outside your jurisdiction when it's your border. I mean, that just does not ring true to me. Now it says, uh, oh, it, it, along the Rio Grande section of the U.S.-Mexican border, effectively preventing the U.S. Border Patrol, that's what I think is interesting, from doing their job. Texas has continued building new wire barriers since that ruling. Now here's what I've argued. I'm, I can't really seem to suss this out. Is there any immigration currently happening from Texas's border right now? Have they just walled it off with wire under the guise that it's an invasion? That would seem like that makes sense, right? If you're letting through any level of immigration, it doesn't sound like an invasion, does it? So if they've effectively blocked it all and the border patrol is like saying we literally can't do our job, which seems to suggest they have, that's an overstep. You can't just shut down immigration unless you actually argue there's like an immediate war presence concept, which I don't think is what's actually happening. But even then, you're, you're superseding your, your own mandate by actually arguing you just stop it in general. But that's where it goes back to the point of where if you can argue and prove that, you know, there's an armed militia on your border, well, that might make things different. And maybe you think that's what's happening. Finally, it says the Biden administration has turned every state into a border state. Interesting. He says, we, and this is uh, uh, Youngkin. This is his tweet. Glenn Youngkin, personal account for the former, what is it, the governor of, uh, of Virginia, working the, anyway, he says, they've turned every state into a border state. We must stop the flow of fentanyl and save lives. Really? You mean the, the fentanyl where I think 90 something percent comes with the mail from China? Really? I've made this point very often in this conversation. This fentanyl MS-13 focus is not accurate. It's very, I mean, look, they'll go after China just the same way. But when it comes to the border conversation, this seems to always be the way it goes, despite the fact that I don't believe they truly care about that. And secondarily, that the vast, vast majority does not come through the border, let alone the overlap of MS-13 with your own entities and security. And there's so much going on there that we don't really talk about. But I find that to be pretty disingenuous and turning every state into a border state. So, again, this is the idea. Can you, are we proving that? Has this been some mass concept where these people are rushing through the United States and they're causing problems in every state? It doesn't seem to be what I see happening. Now, here's the independent. It says, what's really behind the border showdown on Rio Grande? It says, it may sound like a potentially dangerous, if not slightly absurd, bureaucratic nightmare. But at the root of this standoff, it is a disagreement about the U.S. Constitution, which is funny because it should be pretty obvious what is the Constitution is pretty clear, in my opinion. But it says, and who ultimately has the responsibility to protect and govern the country's borders. That's not a fair way to frame that, right? It's not about who has responsibility. It's about who's doing it. Because you can clearly argue that the Biden administration was not doing what Texas felt was necessary. And that seems to come from every level, even people currently working on the side of, you know, from the Border Patrol side of it. There are statements all over the place where I think it was even an interview with one of the local, uh, you know, higher level authorities in, in the in law enforcement was simply saying the same point where he kind of argues that, you know, it shouldn't go afoul of the law. But ultimately, the Biden administration has been failing Texas. I think that's pretty roundly accepted in regard to the political manipulation. And I'm not talking about helping people who need help. I'm talking about doing this in a way that is so, you know, again, not a middle ground, but finding, you know, the open border, everyone can come in because, you know, that kind of a thing, as opposed to finding the, you know, adhering to the law with some humanity, 
It's always one side or the other. No one can come in. They're all illegals or they're everybody. And I don't think it's just about the Democrats thinking that immigrants will vote for them. I think that's changed quite a bit over the years. I think it's much more nefarious than that. But it says on, on one side, Republican states believe the Biden administration is not doing enough to prevent illegal crossings into the United States and have taken aggressive and potentially dangerous measures to do so in its place. I don't under dangerous. Like, this is what I think is so interesting. What is the issue with putting up razor wire? Like, I, like I, look, when they put out those buoys that had razors on it, I mean, that's like, that's just, that's like from some horror movie. That's crazy. Especially since people can't, you, that would, that would likely hurt people that didn't realize what was going on. If you're walking up to a razor wire fence, I'm pretty sure you're aware of what you're looking at. That's no different to me than just having a large fence with razor wire on top, which we have too. So this seems like a disingenuous stance, right? This is why I think this is just a flashpoint that's been created. I don't think this is real. I mean, that's really happening, but I don't think this is actually what is really happening, if you get my point. Because that just does not make sense to me. The Biden administration, meanwhile, has asserted the government's constitutional right to regulate immigration and argue that preventing border aid patrol agents from accessing the area imperils the lives of migrants trying to cross. Okay, so it's an interesting conflation of points. First of all, let's laugh out loud collectively of the Biden administration carry, acting like they can utilize the Constitution while they literally violated in every other possible way you could find. They put, when they need something, of course, the Constitution, right? But next point, the right, the right to regulate immigration and argue that preventing them from accessing it, which again was my point before, if that's happening, then where's, where is the immigration at all happening? But it says imperils the lives of them trying to cross the river. Well, again, nobody's forcing them to cross the river. This gets specifically into the obligation that Biden would argue that we have to not do this because they might be hurt by it. Now, I am, again, the same point. Your foreign policy of this country is creating what they are going through to a large degree, which I argue then does put some obligation on this country to handle that. Doesn't mean they have to let everybody in the country, but there's some level that does need to be acknowledged there. And that could be as simple as helping the country you destroyed, right? But is it your obligation to have the have no blockage, if you think that's what that means, in order for the hypothetical chance that they may be in danger and you just can't get to them? I, I think that goes way beyond what we would think is justifiable. The Department of the Homeland Security noted the case of a mother and her two children who drowned while trying to cross where Mr. Abbott's fortification had been placed near the Shelby Park. Well, okay. Are they, I mean, you, you can, you've seen the images. You can see this from the other side. So again, I mean, it's a sad reality. And it makes me sad that some, a, a mother is in this position in the first place, largely because of what your governments are doing. And that maybe they were in some desperate situation. And so it's, you have, there's some humanity to it. But again, that was her conscious choice to cross the river into an area where you can see there's a razor wire fence. So I just don't, this, I mean, whether that person's even real, we should ask. I mean, I know that does happen to some degree. But it's as former President Donald Trump waded into the dispute on Thursday, accusing President Joe Biden of, quote, fighting to tie the hands of Governor Abbott and the state of Texas, which, I mean, I guess you could look at it that way in the argument that you're saying you can't put these, fences up, which would then mean that you, know, you can't do anything about the immigration. But that's not really true, though, because there are still Border Patrol. There are still authority figures there, and there is still a process. What you're arguing is they're illegally coming across in other locations, right? So this comes into the point to where he is still taking action. The point is, I think it's about blocking it in general. But it's a, it's a question of what you think is ultimately what should be happening. 
Should we be allowing immigration in general? Should we be putting more fences up in other areas or more security in order to stop more illegal? Like, I think there will always be illegal immigration. I think that's just something that will happen based on people from within the system, allowing it to some degree for their own benefit, based on other ways they can, I mean, or the cartels having tunnels and stuff. I'm sure there will always be some level of it. So the question comes down to whether this one thing is truly tying his hands in regard to what you think. Again, to me, it always comes back to whether there's truly a big threat happening right now. It says, we encourage all willing states to deploy their guards to Texas to prevent the entry of illegals. See my point? First of all, not only does he literally just say, deploy your military to stand against the federal government, that's going to blow up in his face. They are going to use that to probably knock him off further ballots in other states to claim he's trying to fight for a new insurrection. I don't think that's what he's doing, but I still think ultimately that that's a pretty dangerous and irresponsible thing. Like you could simply say, we should be politically supporting what they're doing, but to call on military forces to go there to stand against other forces from the federal government, guys, that's a flash. That's dangerous. Even if it's all hype, that could blow up in its own way. So I think that's designed. I really do. I think that you are being trapped. If, if you are on the Republican side of this, they are trying to create a circumstance where even, I would even argue you're justified to act, maybe even from a constitutional level with violence to remove an illegitimate government. But is that actually what you want to do? Do you think that's actually possible, whether constitutionally sound or not? I, I think it's ridiculous at this point, not that you should have a right to do it, but because they will never, ever allow that to happen. They will shut you down with violence. They will call you terrorists, and then they will use that against everybody else. Now, in my, uh, to be very clear, that's not an argument for why you, it's not to say that you shouldn't act within what you think is constitutionally protected, because I will support that. Even if you end up getting called terrorists, I will make the point that you had the constitutional right to do it. But we just have to ask, what's really, what are we really trying to accomplish? If they want to try to trick you in, coax you into doing another January 6th, even if you feel legally protected in it, do you think that's going to achieve what you actually want to achieve? Valid question. Now it says we, uh, then he goes on to say, oh, he wrote that on Truth Social and it says, and to remove them back across the border. Now, again, the other point was illegals, but he's saying prevent the entry of illegals, but that's not all that's happening. There are, they're, they're looking at everybody coming up right now as part of that problem, which maybe they are, but they're not illegals until they illegally cross the border. And on top of that, again, the point is that there is a Biden administration aspect to this as the president, as the executive branch, who has the ability to write executive orders and do whatever the hell they want, which I don't agree with. If they're arguing that there's an asylum being offered, that then becomes a dispute about what you want to be happening. Now, you could go to court and argue from a legal standpoint that Biden's not allowed to do that. But that happens every single time in these. Our governments are all corrupt and illegitimate anyway, in my opinion. And Trump did the same thing. Obama did the same thing. Maybe not in this context, but all sorts of other things. So again, it's not about whether he's breaking the law. I mean, it, you could make the argument, but really about that you disagree with what's ultimately happening and you're willing to take a, a violent stance to stop that. I think that's an important way to look at it. Mr. Abbott enforcing a showdown on the Rio Grande hopes to hopes he can persuade the Supreme Court to consider his argument that states have a right to play a greater role in protecting America's national borders. So you see in his own statement, what he's admitting to is that that's not the current dynamic. And now he's simply arguing that he has a great, that they should have a greater role, which I would argue I agree with. But it says if he wins, it would represent a seismic shift in how U.S. borders are controlled. Again, which means that's not currently how it works. So does, is it their legal right to stand up and say, I want it to be some other way? Shouldn't that have been done before? But again, if you think it's an invasion, well, that would change it. 
Mr. Abbott laying out his justification in a statement on Wednesday that invoked the Constitution's authors, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison, argued that President Biden has, quote, refused to enforce, it's important, laws preventing illegal immigration from entering the United States and claims he thus, he thus, his state has claims he, I guess that's a typo, and claims he thus has state, his, the, but that's not right, is it? Claims he thus his state has the constitutional authority to defend itself. Yeah, I guess that's a typo. But so that again, defending yourselves. Is that actually what's happening? And I think it's interesting from the Israeli Gaza discussion of the right to defend yourself. And coming from someone like Greg Abbott, I find that even more interesting. Before we get there, just to show you on Fox News, Trump urges states to surge National Guard to Texas as Abbott stand up by. So it's not just some left wing misrepresentation. Trump very clearly was saying, bring them in, which a lot of them have. As you, as you might have seen here, of course, you might expect. Here's InfoWars Historic. All Republican governors back Texas as they stand up against the Fed's border invasion. This is just so I just don't know why anybody. Anyway, the way these things are framed, guys, it's always hyperbolic and it's all tipping over and boiling over. And the point is, you do see a lot of Republican governors standing up and, and at least supporting this, whether they're going to send military is another question. But certainly all these seem these kind of platforms seem to be screaming civil war, which seems like an irresponsible thing to do in my mind. Now, this is a clip from Fox News. Texas Lieutenant Governor warns Biden of military confrontation. The Biden administration could make would be confronting law enforcement or our military, our National Guard at our border at this park when we're actually doing the job that the American people want. Well, I think it's important to be clear that there's, it's not as simple as saying everybody wants this first. I, I think it's pretty split, not even just two ways. I think there's different opinions about how this should go, but as usual, you frame it as everybody versus no, you know, that's kind of how it works. But again, it just simply comes down to whether you think what's more important, right? Is, is this about an illegal invasion or is it about helping people who need help? It's definitely somewhere in the middle, but that's not what you get with the two-party illusion. So if they come down and create a situation all of America already knows now, they will clearly see that the Democrats are willing to take on a state that is operating under the, our constitutional right to protect our people and protect this country. I don't think even Biden will make that mistake. We're not looking for a confrontation. We're looking for them to do their damn job and protect the lives of Texans and Americans and protect the borders in this country. And for every person that's died of a fentanyl overdose, for every person that's been murdered by MS-13, for every law enforcement officer who's been killed in the line of duty because these people have crossed the border, that death is on the hands of Joe Biden and this administration and his policies on the border. They should not come and confront us. They should just let us do our job. Yeah, well, you know, you could, the, the middle, then the first and end part, maybe agree with, but the hyperbolic middle, you know, I, I mean, to argue that they would, to say that every single problem that has ever happened is, I mean, come on, there's always been these issues. This is just how these partisan players work. It's, you know, I mean, think about it like this. This very well could explode into something much bigger. I really hope that it doesn't or not, or this becomes some agreement and it drifts into the background and the biggest threat to our democracy ever becomes a story that nobody talks about anymore because it was all hype, right? Not that there weren't real parts of it, but this happens every single day in the partisan media. And a lot of us on the outskirts and the, you know, the understanding, the illusion will be the ones over here going, I don't know. It looks kind of manipulative. It looks like it's a little, you know, like the UFOs or the, or the air or the, the, 
what is it? The weather balloons or all these different things that were like screaming about it. It was this big plan and China's involved and then just goes gone. Oh, so it wasn't that then. Interesting. I just want people to ask whether that's the case, right? Or as I think is more likely the further part of this, that it's being created to drive you in to take action. And that would be the ultimate point. Here is the one I was referencing before. Governor of Oklahoma openly discusses possibility of civil war. Like, don't you think it's strange that civil war is being so casually floated around because of this one situation? Doesn't that feel a little bit orchestrated to you? Biden should or may actually federalize the National Guard, take that power away from Greg Abbott. Let's say this showdown. I mean, this, that's what it is. It's a showdown. It's a showdown of power and loyalties and constitutionality. Let's say he does that. How many people say, no, you know what? Screw you, Biden administration. And how many people stay and fight with Texas versus the federal things? And does that put us on course for a force on force conflict? I mean, right right now, you've got uh, the federal agents that are cutting the wire, and then you've got the Texas National Guard on orders to put up wire. I mean, this is a this is a counter uh, uh, a powder keg worth of uh, tension. So it's very uh, it, it, it it's it's a very weird situation. We certainly stand with uh, with Texas on their right to defend themselves, um, but Biden's going to be in a tough situation. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, he's going to try to federalize these troops. In other words, put them on federal orders. And so now their allegiance technically goes to the president of the United States instead of the governor. Um, and of course, I think a lot of Texans, these are still, um, they're still yeah. Texans that are weekend, uh, you know, they're in a the national guards. They do one week in a month or when they get called up on duties by the governor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they would be in a difficult situation to protect their homeland or to follow what Biden's saying. Yeah, literally I, I open it. Very interesting. But then, you know, then you've got Oklahoma and Florida and Tennessee, and you got all these other states that would send our National Guard uh, to help and, and to support the efforts of, uh, of uh, Governor Abbott. Because every state is a border state. You talked about fentanyl. Uh, the deaths in Oklahoma since point. I've taken office are up 500 percent. And we know that's coming across the southern border. And then you. Yeah, except 90 plus percent comes in the mail from China. But let's only make it about what's advantageous for your political stance. Think about the terrorists. Um, again, I just don't know what their end game is here. And, and I hope American people really wake up to what's happening. Well, Governor, my, one of my other things, too, on this is that, you know, so it's interesting to me that from from a Republican standpoint, from people that are, you know, immediately skeptical about a false flag, a setup, you know, a, a, a psychological operation, which rightly should be. Or, that, you know, maybe this is a setup. Maybe that's shooting is fake. Maybe they're lying to us about this. But this happens and it's immediately believed. There's terrorists coming through terror. Really, the very same people who would tell you you're a terrorist if you're wearing a red hat. Now, and there are Republicans that are in the same mindset that are we're suddenly going to believe. You see what I'm saying? Like, I just don't get it. And this, this I do, actually. It comes down to the two-party divide because they somehow see the ones on the right side of it as somehow more trustworthy. It's just naive. Your government is tricking you, as always. Now, here, here's an interesting, like, this is one of the comments we're seeing. It's saying... I can't listen to this trash about the show today. The border is chaos and we shouldn't let people walk into our country. Now, explain to me anywhere so far at all where I said we should just let people walk into the country. It's the very, very opposite. I'm just arguing that it should not be this all like that literally everybody who is trying to cross is immediately illegal and we shut things down and we act and we don't acknowledge that there is a byproduct of what but largely I would argue people in two party illusion have allowed the government to continue doing it for overseas. 
right? But the problem is that if you talk even somewhere in the middle, every side of the illusion freaks out and hates you because you're either not allowing every human to be helped or you're allowing all the illegals to come through. Even though what we're actually doing is taking a balanced, reasonable stance about the fact that we should care about both. But that bothers everybody. And I think that's hilarious. But so here is where we get into the weaponized aspect of this. This is from 2021. There's a lot of talk about this, like a lot of studies, because it's a very real thing. This is just a, just a point to cite this so you can read this for yourself. European migration as a political tool. This is just one, one kind of evaluation of this concept. It says the recent, this is again, 2021, the recent crisis between Morocco and Spain was just the latest example of weaponized migration seen by the European Union. Gatekeeper states will continue to use migration for political ends, the threat of which will shape foreign policy for frontline EU members. Now, there's a very real conversation to be had here. But then in, in some cases, you see a lot of places in the in Europe that end up becoming, you know, everybody brown in this country is suddenly a problem. Right. And that's ridiculous. Or the fact that a lot of these people are just random people. And it's the governments and the players and the intelligence apparatus that are using them, creating the circumstances that drive them into other countries, like what happened in Syria, what's currently being used with people in Gaza. These are tactics, guys, and they are used. And the problem is that the people at the highest levels of the two-party illusion, and I mean in the sense of the commentators, don't care about that. And suddenly it becomes these people are evil and bad because one of them might be a terrorist. And it's just, it comes, it's disgusting. It is the worst, it's the lowest common denominator. And I don't think that's what everybody actually thinks, but that's what's ultimately paraded around as if that's the conversation we should be having. So first of all, just recognize governments, including your own government, actively use people's lives to manipulate the outcome. Like here's an actually a really small, perfect example. Remember when they were, and probably still will, were bringing these people around to like Martha's Vineyard and letting them out? What you know, the immigrants that are just randomly and just walking up and they don't know where to go, and all of a sudden they take them back somewhere else. What a gross little ploy. The point is they they did it to make a point, but you're using human lives as pawns, which is what they do, guys. But so that's the same game. That is essentially a minor example of weaponized migration. You're taking them and going, here, deal with that. Right? Same thing. But now we're talking in this case, we're talking about internationally, government to government, right? Or or individual players or however you want to look at it. But let's look at what happened from, you know, Venezuela. The last conversation about this, I don't think that was organic. I think that there was real people that have always been migrating up because of their destabilization tactics all through South America. But that was initiated. There was a clear mobilization. But how did it end up? Right there, there was ever. I mean, the point is that even if you really truly just let all every single person ever coming through into the United States, it the, the real threat would ultimately be whether or not there are people within that that would be intentionally there to destabilize, carry out terrorist attacks. Because if your problem is that there are just people that you don't like that have a different color than you, then there's a different problem there, isn't there? Now, I can I'll be the first to tell you that any. Like, let's just take the idea of weaponized migration in the broadest sense, that there's no terrorism, there's no, let's just even remove crime. The simple influx of a massively different society or, or ethnicity or population into another country will cause chaos. It'll cause all sorts of problems, people, and this is just seen throughout history. But the question would be, and this is for you to decide whether whether it's more important to help people that would need help than to protect what you think your society is. Now, that's a hard question. I'm not even I'm not even sure where I would stand on that. 
But then you overlap that with terrorism and intelligence apparatus and, you know, Western, Israeli, European backed terrorism that they act like is coming from somewhere else that they've been funding and arming their entire lives like ISIS or Al Qaeda or Hamas, right? That kind of problem. I think that's what this is really about. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Now, there's a lot of ways you could get into the idea of weaponized migration. So many different ways that it has been used. Most clearly, because of the massive destabilization of the of the Western powers around the world that drive people away, and then they get channeled and used in certain ways. But this is I want to make this about a specific discussion, just because this is what makes most sense to me. I am not saying this is what's happening. I'm just going to float one of the possibilities that seems to make the most sense to me. But just so it's clear, I do think that's what's happening. I think that this is being politically manipulated. Now, that could be our country. It could be Mexico. It could be anybody. But here, let me, let me make a case for why I think this would make the most sense that Israel is desperate to try to destabilize what seems to be a almost fully mobilized United States against what they're doing. Like everybody around the world for that matter, but the United States has the most power as the government to stop what they're doing. So if you, if you look at this as one of two things, if you think this is something being done to the United States, which is what most of the Republicans seem to think, but I don't think they would lay, aim it at Israel. There's a couple of ways it could be used. This could be a, a threat, right? That will continue to do this if you don't, if you know, that, we'll, that this is what we could do if you decide to go against what our agenda is. And it's again, totally hypothetical. Or it could just literally be about the larger agenda that a lot of people think has always been happening in regard to the manipulation of the population of this country. People talk about the great replacement theory and all these things. I don't really think that makes the most sense to me. Because it wouldn't be necessarily about replacement. It would just be about destabilization. But you know, there's plenty of theories. Of course, the theories that are so, in somewhat backed up by history, in fact, typically called racist or manipulative, which is usually an interesting point there. But this is the Baker Institute for Public Policy. And this is about right now. This is from December of 2023. Israel's mass displacement of Gazans fits strategy of using migration as a tool of war. Now, this is specifically about Gaza. Palestinians and how using that migration or rather the forced displacement is very clearly part of their strategy, whether that's about moving them just out of the way or using them to to manipulate other countries that they might want to influence Egypt, Jordan, right? It's very obvious, but you could read this for yourself. The point is simply based on what we see happening, based on their rhetoric, it fits the strategy of weaponized migration. So very clearly, we need to understand there's a history here that Israel has done this before, and that your government, especially the United, well, if you're the United States, a government of the United States, is a clear culprit in this regard. So the question then becomes: Is that what's happening now, and is that being driven by somebody like Israel? Here's a point that I think is a, is pretty is a little bit flimsy, and I think a lot of this is 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 about kind of forcing this in to aim it, you know, really specifically to make this about Jewish people alone. But I still think there's an interesting point to made here. Now, this is Sam Parker, I'm not really familiar, running for Senate, I guess, saying, is Ben Shapiro funding the U.S. border invasion? Well, I mean, that's a pretty quick jump to make. What you can prove in this is that he's funding this entity to about ten dollars to $20,000, it looks like, at least once or every year, even though they, they, he misquotes that right here. It's actually, and he does follow up below and say, oops, I made a mistake with the amount. But he, it, this is a group called HIAS. The it's this it's uh oh wait where what does it stand for again? Hold on. 
the Hebrew Immigrant, Immigrant Aid Society. Now, look into this, and I was like, okay, this is interesting because there's a lot of talk right now about this being a group that's per, that's involved with the flood in the, the flood of people coming up from the south. And it is a, I'll just read right from what they say here. It is. stands for a world in which refugees find welcome, safety, and opportunity. And it says, drawing on our Jewish values and history, HIAS provides vital services to refugees and asylum seekers around the world, but interestingly seems to be predominantly about helping in regard to migration into the United States. What I found interesting was I was like, okay, well, who founded this? That's very important to me because it's to me, it's, it's never about just making it about one religion. In this, as we've said very clearly about the Zionist manipulation of Judaism, I think it's more so about always trying to make it about that as opposed to the Zionist manipulation of it. So I wanted to find out, was this a Zionist? Was this somebody else? Was it somebody tied to the CIA, right? That kind of thing. But interestingly enough, no matter how far I looked, the only thing I could find, more than 100 years ago, the Jewish community founded this. How does that even make sense? Just the collective Jewish community, which to me almost is an insight into the fact that it's a Zionist concept. Because the Jewish community doesn't really make much sense to me. Otherwise, you know, because it was a people were all over the world until the illegal state of Israel came into being and they bombed people to force them into their country, which is what really happened. So to me, it's kind of an indication that's more so a coordinated political thing than just every Jew in the world suddenly collected and made this happen. So, right? It seemed very strange to me. Now, again, just my personal thought. But what he says here, it's, this is one of the most significant sponsors and facilitators of the mass migrant invasion wave at the U.S. southern border. It provides financial and logistic support for these masses. Security of home, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, whose uh, dereliction of duty, he writes, is overseeing the wide open border, used to be a board member, which is true, of this group. In Ecuador, near the Darien Gap, this group helps oversee a migrant processing and support facility. Hordes of migrants pass through here on their way to the U.S. border. Now, you could argue this is just what their mandate is, that we're helping immigrants and we want to see them get to places where they can be safe, right? But I also sense a little bit of something different here. It says they're building bridges and roads on the way to maximize the amount. And, you know, so a lot of these are his opinions. But I do find it interesting that you'll find that Ben Shapiro is on here, which wouldn't, it's not going to be groundbreaking. It would make sense that he would, whoops, that he would fund this. Hold on. There it is. So Ben Shapiro under the up here. So it's about the 10,000 to about 17,999. So interestingly, first to talk about the idea that this could be a group and, and there are groups in general that seem to have a mandate, whether you think it's nefarious or not, to sort of drive this action, right? Like, so it, it's, it's from a, you know, I guess legal standpoint, it's legitimate. But clearly this could be used in and of itself through legitimate channels to sort of just drive waves of people like that would make sense, especially knowing that weaponized migration is a very clear and practice tactic of these governments, something we should be asking. So here's what I found even more interesting. Here is Netanyahu speaking with Ben Shapiro recently, where he essentially admits that the Israeli government has infiltrated the U.S. government. <laughs> and no one really cares, as Hotspot points out. The wrong place. And he said, why? He said, because you should be in America. He said, why America? He said, because America will be the rising power in the world. There may be a world conflict. America will emerge as the great power. And America can make Britain do what Britain doesn't want to do. That is, 
recognize a Jewish state. Well, they went to America. Jabotinsky died, and my father continued alone during the interwar, uh, during the war years, agitating for Zionism. He was all of 32. And he began, that's in 1942. He decided to do something that no Jewish leader did before. He went to the Republicans. And he went to Senator Taft, who was a very great senator, because Roosevelt would not hear of a Jewish state. He was absolutely opposed to it. He didn't want to antagonize the British. He thought that the British wanted to cater to the Arabs. He, was, he simply would not do it. He was a great leader. But it was for, for the Jewish people, <laughs> that wasn't good. So not being able to persuade the Democrats, he went to the Republicans. And he said to Senator Taft uh, to, uh, to advocate, to put in the Republican National Convention on the platform, support for unrestricted Jewish immigration and a Jewish state. Well, Roosevelt didn't like it. But three months later, he had no choice. The Democratic uh, National Convention adopted a similar platform. So in many ways, my father was the progenitor of the bipartisan American support for Israel. Uh, but uh, of course he did. Which, I mean, if you really break down what he's saying, they are petitioning and, and lobbying, which again is the same difference. They're manipulating through financial or political pressure what the outcome of American policy is. And let's not forget, there's countless, or I shouldn't say countless, I mean, I know of at least two very clear pr and proven to be real videos of Netanyahu boasting about how he can manipulate and control the, United, the American government, or that 9-11 was good for our policy. Like, it's just very clear. So when he's sitting there boasting about the fact that your, your ancestors and you yourself have essentially driven into reality what otherwise wouldn't have happened through your pressure or your petitioning this government. I mean, isn't that alarming in and of itself, especially since we, I hope we all are beginning to understand that the state of Israel is illegitimate. There's an illegal occupation of another country or another, another entity, however you want to look at it. And it's obvious. And so what you ultimately allowed was what he's saying is the unfettered migration into this to justify what you're doing. And let's make, and this was about desperation. Remember as Avi Shalom has discussed where they were bombing, I think it's right here, bombing Iraqi Jews in order to drive them into the state of Israel. Iraqi Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, was based in Tehran. And by the way, I don't know if you guys got a chance to laugh at that ridiculous music video that Ben Shapiro just put out, which, like, I'm not one to, I mean, you know, it takes courage to put yourself out there like that, but my God, it's pretty stupid. <laughs> he literally called it facts. <laughs> it's just like, okay, that, that's worth laughing at for a second. Okay, so the point here, though, is, and I'll include these other past articles. I mean, I've talked about it many times. This is just the ones that came up on a quick search. We talked about weaponized migration back here in 2018. 
Here's a really old article that I haven't read in a long time from some, uh, an old writer we had. This is 2015. So it's very impossible that I don't even agree with what's in here at this point. But nonetheless, you know, somebody else's perspective on the concept of weaponized migration. It's worth checking out because you have to realize this has been used and it is still being used. But that does not mean that the people should always be demonized. Now, this is this was the Tucker interview. I thought this was important that but we need to realize. So he was in India, apparently, which. I don't understand why a state governor would be doing international anything, quite frankly. It's very strange to me. But the point was, in Axios, they make it clear that he, not immediately before this, but recently before this, he was taking another trip to Israel. I think that speaks to something, quite frankly. There's a very obvious overlap there. And here is, you know, some history on this as well. This is from 2017, but he has been aggressively pro-Zionist. Texas governor signs anti-BDS bill on Israel's Independence Day of all days. And of course, this ended up getting voted back that it was unconstitutional, but I mean, they still act in this way all across the country. And this and this, where, this is where we get to the point about the people. Before I go past that, this is important to think about. So if Abbott is the one seemingly driving this conversation to the level of civil war, it's worth asking whether or not this is something bigger. Obviously, it makes sense to see the connections doesn't mean it has to be the way it is, but I think it's interesting to consider whether this might be something that's being driven into reality. And it gets a little more interesting as we go forward about the the natural gas aspect. But first, this is what I, this is where we're seeing the fervor, the, the the hype, which I believe is hype. This is almost hard to believe the way this is presented. It feels really almost it feels very uh, staged, if you will, but definitely could be real. Now it says, quote, and this is Sarah Fields. And, well, actually, I won't read the quote. I'll just let you listen to it, listening to it. But this is it, th- what th- this everyone seems to be claiming is Mobsum Samadov, a Azerbaijan, a terrorist who was arrested, who served his time and was released, apparently, like a couple years ago. And they're claiming this is him on the border. Here's what he has to say. If you are smart enough, you would know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Very easy. Ah, very easy. <laughs> the, the entitlement. The entitlement. Uh, no, believe me. I'm much better than that. The entitlement, guys. Wow. So, first part is the important part. You are smart know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. So you're not smart enough to know who I am, but soon you're going to know who I am. Now, certainly could be a threat or not. It could be some random person saying something or what it seems to me, this is clearly something meant to drive the conversation we're talking about. Like, why would you say that? Certainly could be real. Could be a guy that's going, you're going to find out. But then don't you think somebody who would actually believe that would immediately track him down and arrest him? Right? Like if somebody was planning something, that's not what they would do. Unless they're a ridiculous juvenile person that doesn't realize by saying this publicly that everyone's going to realize you. Like, to me, that is about that being the point. That statement becoming the focal point, which then gets, which it did, parroted and spread around every single Republican media channel saying, oh my God, it's a terrorist. He threatened you and this is what's happening and Biden's allowing it. Based off what? The assumption that he is what you think he is and everything else is assumption from there. This is, it's assumption upon assumption upon assumption. Now here is who they're saying he is. Mobsum Samadov. Now, if you look at it, that picture to this picture, it looks pretty It looks pretty close, right? And, and it very well could be. Except when you realize that the image that they're pointing to, 
and just if you want to read about this, you can. It's the, of course, this is where it really becomes the scare tactic for the Republicans about anybody who is part of the Islamic Party as a terrorist, which is really where this all stems back to. Head of the Islamic Party of Azerbaijan. Now, in this specific case, this guy is arrested, but this is where you get the concept of the term terrorist applying to just anybody you don't. The point is, this was a person who was arrested for. Basically, he denounced the president over a ban on wearing religious headscarves and was arrested. Now, the argument is that he took action, you know, violent action and so on. You could argue as a terrorist, but I could point out 100 examples of how, you know, Americans have fought back against unjust laws that they thought they should with violence. And we talk about we we par- we parade those and we celebrate them. Right. So it's just so frustrating to me. And look, I'm not I don't really know this person. very well could be. But I just think it's so gross how we constantly will create the dynamic, the ter- the, the, the circum that we create the narrative that works for the political game. It, he very, it could just be a person that is fighting back against what he believes in and he gets called a terrorist and so on, right? Or just because he wears that headdress, people, you know, this is the two party illusion to it all. But as Liam Cosgrove points out, the Middle Easterner filled at the border is not Mopsam Samadam. Look at the image that's gone viral compared to the, the this article about the real Samadov published on the day of his release, one year prior to the border video. This is what they're showing. Everyone going, look, that's him. We caught it. It's there. And it's kind of the same you know, game. And that does look pretty close. The problem is this image is of this guy, Mobsum, quite a while ago. Here is his current picture. Both of these. Looks a little different, doesn't he? Why? Because that's a really old image of him when he was younger. So it becomes very simple for people to go, so it's the same, and it becomes the narrative, and it's in every public, Republican channel everywhere. All of them. The big guys, too. Great due diligence, guys. Did you even check? It's not, because this is the person, after he was released, after 12 years, which, by the way, also served his time. So aren't we supposed to pretend like he's been rejuvenated? You know, uh, what's the term we use? I can't remember it now. You know, that he changed because he served his time. It's just, you know, like that's, I don't know if that's even something that happens, but the point is we all pretend that's the way it works. But here he is. This is, uh, this was, in in any case, it says three weeks ago, but the point is this is him post-release from jail. Look at him, guys. He's also got a big mole on his face right there, which does not seem to be on this guy's face. In any case, the point is, this is, this is certainly him. Not because this has been his coverage of him being released from prison. Here is his own channel, him talking about this on YouTube. So the point is, it's not him. Who it is? Who knows? Could be nobody. Rehabilitated. Thank you, Sarah. That was one word I was searching for. Could be nobody. Could be a random guy who seems to think you're going to know him because of some dumb thing he's going to do, or it could be another terrorist. We don't know. But the point is, we don't know. But it's already become the reality that this is what Biden is doing. He's letting all the terrorists through but they're wrong. And that's not who you think it is. Now, if you, oh, and the other point I was going to make, and this is important, just going back to this, this, you know, video here. This is, by the way, exactly what we've kind of become accustomed to in regard to the clumsy propaganda we've been seeing from Israel for quite a while now. 
And just in a broader sense, this is the kind of entity that we've seen backed by the West, backed by, you know, the Western Europe and the, and the United States and Israel and the, the powers involved with the false flags and the terrorist acts that they blame on somebody else, which turns out they were the moderate rebels or the people they've been funding or the provable example that they fund funded armed and controlled the worst elements of Islam this entire time while fighting against the more moderate people that wouldn't go along with what they wanted. I mean, that's the that's the reality. The Israel and the United States government have been funding the most radical elements of the very thing they claim they're fighting for decades. They funded Hamas. And now don't talk about that. So if you can't at least consider the possibility that this guy in his very clumsy, you're going to know me when you know me, sounds like something Obama, or uh, <laughs> of course, that old thing, Osama bin Laden was saying back when he was in, in the context, right? that's the kind of thing they would do. And he was a cutout. So if you want to understand that more, I recommend you watch James Corbett's amazing three-part documentary, False Flags, A Secret History of Al-Qaeda, which undeniably proves to you, using receipts and their own documentation, that most of the people involved with this, including him, the Osama himself, were assets. It's impossibly obvious. So it's easy to see. And this guy is directly overlaps with Israel. Watch it. They were acutely involved. So I think that is what this looks like to me. You're being set up. If you rush in here acting like you're going to save the country from the bad guy terrorists, you're going to be the one they call terrorists. Now, here is what Biden put out yesterday in regard to the liquefied natural gas, which appears to generally have nothing to do with this. Maybe it does. Statement from President Biden on decision to pause pending approvals. It says, in every corner of the country and the, and the world, people are suffering the devastating toll of climate change. <laughs> of course, that's where it starts. Hardly. Not even remotely what's actually happening. But of course, this is the narrative, right? This is how you justify this, the action. So that's why right out of the gate, I don't believe that's what's real. I don't even believe that's what they think they're doing. Does it have to do with something else? Does it have to do with Texas specifically? Does it have to do with Israel specifically? Let's look into it. It says, my administration is announcing today a temporary pause on pending decisions of liquefied natural gas exports, of which Texas is gigantic. It says, with the exception of unanticipated and immediate national security emergencies. Of course. So we can do it should we decide we need to for emergencies, but you guys can't. During this period, we will take a hard look at the impacts of, of LNG or liquid uh, natural gas exports on energy costs, America's energy security, and our environment. This pause on the new LNG approves approvals see the climate crisis for what it is, the existential threat of our time. You see the point, though? They can just justify pretty much anything under disguise, even though they have their own loopholes for continuing to use nuclear power or oil themselves. Or, you know, the UK and the United States literally argued that that's ESG compliant because they use it to fight for freedom. So it means nothing. You understand. These people are completely dishonest and disingenuous about what they claim they're trying to fight for. So I don't believe that's what's really going on. Now, it says, well, MAGA Republicans specifically just a special category of MAGA, which when you really press it, they, that's pretty much any Republican to them, willfully deny the urgency of the climate crisis, condemning the American people to a dangerous future. My administration will not be complacent. We will not cede to special interests, except all the special interests that you actively cede to. Other than that, though, you'll never do that. Anyway, here's what Kit Clarenberg said. White House blocks Texas energy exports in response to border bust-up. Now, it very well could be exactly what just happened. But let's be clear about this. This is a nationwide thing. This is not specific to Texas. But it interestingly does specifically affect Texas seemingly more than everybody else. So what do you think? Was this, was this a 
sort of a crafty move to try to penalize Texas in a way that you could argue had nothing to do with them? Maybe. I mean, it says, meanwhile, Republican governors are backing Texas. This is, he says, this is seismically significant in every way and getting virtually no serious attention. Can you imagine if this, it, it, the, it, the immediate interest, if this happened in Russia or China? So this is interesting. This is, uh, so right now, Texas, and I think this was a recent post. This is, uh, I think this is just updated for the current data. The nation's number one producer of natural gas. That's pretty interesting. And the world's third producer. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know that until I looked into this. If Texas were a country, it would be the third largest natural gas producer in the world. That's pretty crazy. Texas produced natural gas is driving domestic economic and environmental progress, safeguarding our national energy security and providing critical fuel supplies for our trade partners across the globe. Aha. So does this have to do with more than just Texas? It could. It definitely could. Now, these are all just hypothetical, right? I think the most obvious way to look at this is that Texas is standing off against the federal government. If you think that's actually what's happening, and quite frankly, I think it's more about a a, you know, a way to get you pulled into this. And this is just another step in making it look like Biden's taking action against Texas for them to drive in to defend it. But if you think that's what's happening, the point is that this does seem directly targeted at Texas, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of hard not to see how this is like predominantly hurting. And this is what it comes down to. As of October, 2023, Texas has produced nearly 10 trillion cubic feet of natural gas marketed production which amounts to 43% of the total natural gas produced in the United States. And here is just their general output you can look at. You know, we're talking about in 2022, and this is, I believe it's uh, volumes in, in, mil- in million cubic feet, prices in dollar per thousand cubic feet. So we're talking about, and this is, come on, there we go, export volume in 2022, which went down almost uh, or about 400,000 to 2,934,586. That's crazy. And all they're using, they're, or rather importing, is 277 mil, uh, million cubic feet. Interesting, which is weird. I don't know why LNG is in cubic feet. I find that so strange. But it is, though. Well, So that's a huge amount of export that they now are on pause for. So, I mean, almost immediate financial uh, suppression. That's pretty hard to overlook. Here's another way, another point to this though. Now this this is pretty abstract, but I just wanted to see I wanted to see how this might connect. Now this is, this says if Israel invades southern Lebanon, which they're openly threatening they're going to do, as widely reported on social media, then say goodbye to any hope of explore, exploration for natural gas in the area's waters, which is something they're actively seeking. Gas pipelines from east uh, eastern uh, east med to Europe and are already pipe dreams. <clears throat> so. In the midst of this conflict, where it seems that there are projects they're trying to achieve that are being kind of held up, is there something to that? Is this, is, is this going to be used elsewhere? Is the pause of it meant to change the market in some way that will benefit somebody else? Just hypothetical thoughts. Quite, quite frankly, I think the most obvious point is that it's against Texas. That makes the most sense to me, or at least it's meant to look that way. Here, But here's, again, another cheek point. Here's Face the Nation. This says, we'll hear, and this was on the 26th, we'll hear Sunday from Amos Hochstein, a top advisor to President Biden on energy policy, about the administration's decision to pause some exports of liquid natural gas. Plus, we'll ask about his efforts to broker a diplomatic deal with Israel-Lebanon. See, so they're clearly connected. In the same talking point, they're talking about the advisor to the energy policy, talking about the decision to pause this, 
and in the same discussion about their brokering a diplomatic deal between Israel and Lebanon. Now, why would the energy advisor have anything to do with brokering a deal about some kind of diplomatic pause? Because the LNG is involved. So whether that's involved with the Texas decision, I don't know, but it seems interesting at the timing of it all. And let's not forget the hundreds of billions of unrealized dollars underneath Gaza, which they're desperately trying to drive them away from to take over as they're openly talking about settling now. Not a hypothetical conspiracy theory. They're telling you they're going to. They're planning for it. They've got documents ready. They have people who are dancing in there and putting up flags and running back, which means they're allowing them to do that. Individual civilians. We'll talk about that probably tomorrow. But this is hundreds of billions of dollars in large in a lot of, of LNG. Royal B writes, one trillion cubic feet of oil and natural gas lies under Gaza. Israel plans to construct a canal through Gaza and extend oil pipelines to Europe and India. This will this will make Israel a critical player in the global energy market and redefine its alliances. Now, what's interesting is Israel, at least on the record, seems to have some like I think it was something like 17 times their their um use of their, their output or rather just 17 times more than they need on a regular basis so in, in regard to specifically natural gas. But, you know, maybe that's not true. I mean, they've lied about plenty of other things. They lie about nuclear weapons and so on. So it's interesting and seeing as how these efforts are seemingly driving, you know, the, the offshore dr- dr- drilling for Gaza, the Lebanon aspect, could it just, is that just about profit? Maybe there's more to the story. Just all that being considered, I thought that was interesting. Now, again, the most logical point is simply that that's a response to what Texas is doing. I just think it's interesting that there is a connection to Israel in a lot of this that I wonder whether there's more to that decision. Now, let's get into the couple points about the hype that I continue to see. Now, this is somebody saying, breaking, which you'll find. Actually, I didn't even do this. We should check, see if this is repeated, which it usually is numerous times. Just the exact typing. Let's see. Nope, that one's just by itself. Let's do let's do this. Oh, interesting. It seems to be the only one. Anyway, but you'll th- just exactly type like that. You'll find a lot of these on Twitter right now. This is just the one that I grabbed. Another migrant caravan is approximately fifteen hundred people. Even has a number for it. Where do you get that? Is headed for the Texas border from southern Mexico. This is going to escalate things tenfold with current standoff between. Nope, that's not true. It's from Christmas Eve, from twenty twenty three. Which still makes it a migration concept, but it's not a breaking news. This exact amount of people are about to come up. No, it already happened. This was December, in December 20, 24th, when they were coming up. And this is written on January 1st. So there's been 27 days that have passed since this was taken. And this guy and people all over Twitter are doing things just like that. That's the exact same image, is the point. That is the exact same image. So why are people lying about that? Does he know that he's lying about it? It doesn't matter is the point. And when you see those kind of things happening, like we saw with Lahaina or whatever, there's something going on there. That's not just, some of it's organic. Some people are just ridiculous. They just lie or they don't care to check. But when you see it to this level, my gut, my instincts tell me that there's agendas taking place here. Just like I think we know for sure we're in Lahaina or elsewhere. Here's another one saying, it is today the day of civil war. Chaos has erupted on the Texas border. Immigrants from South America try to force their way in. My point is, it's like, I don't, is this even real? Did it really happen? Was this from a year ago? I don't know. The point is that there's so much hype flying around of things that we can't verify. And from what I can tell, I, I, if you find this elsewhere, please send it to me so I can talk about it. 
But what's interesting is that this is the kind of thing that happens. And, and this hype is building people in their minds the fact that, oh my God, it's about to blow up. We're just about to fit. And that, and that drives its way into the conversation, which then the risk of actual violence becomes real. Now we also have People's Convoy 2.0, huge ca- uh, cav, cl- uh, that's interesting. What does that stand? I think that just means the same thing. That's weird. Huh. It was, it was bringing up something where you probably saw it. Yeah, possess, a, a procession of riders. Cavalcade. I don't think I've ever used that before. Huge cavalcade of truckers. So another trucker convoy. We'll head to border hotspots in bid to shame Biden administration into cracking down. Okay. I always support... Pro, you. I, I quite frankly don't think your protesting has much of an effect these days, but I support it. If you want to go out and protest, do it. I believe in your right to do so, and I believe that it does have an effect in other ways. People pay attention. They listen to what you're saying. My concern here is twofold. Obviously, I think this is, you know, just like with Canada, this is going to be manipulated. They're going to make it out to be, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, just because they lie about what your what your objectives are. But the, the other thing about this is, just like the last time, what is your goal here? You're going to head to the border with all of your trucks and then essentially, to a degree, block other people that have nothing to do with this just by default because the trucks end up blocking. That's like we saw with Canada. If your goal is to do something to stop, why wouldn't you surround the Capitol? That's what I said the first time, because what you're really stopping then is government processes. That's the point, right? That you want to stop them to keep, to drive them to do what you believe should be done as the American people. I just think it's interesting. So now we're going to have a bunch of trucker convoys, which at this point, I'm very suspicious about whether this is all being orchestrated. We need to ask these questions, but believe me, I support the idea of what Canada was doing as well as these truckers if they believe they can protest for what they're doing. But something about this means feels suspicious. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting, and this is why I largely feel that this is about setting UP, setting anybody up that is part of the what they, well, again, really not even about part of anything. They If anybody going against the narrative is going to be labeled as domestic terrorist, MAGA support, just like I am, even though I'm not that. I think the, I think all the two-party illusion is quite ridiculous. But Ron Johnson put this out. A, this sobering letter from, the, from former FBI, Homeland Security, and other law enforcement officials describes the chilling reality of why POTUS's open border is a clear and present danger to America. And this, this comes down to the simple reality that there is an unknown eminent threat. You know, like with... Iran and Bolton, that there's an eminent threat. Like the, the, there, it's, we can't really see it. That You can't show me an image of the eminent threat lined up or any, other than just average people that might be intermittent with bad guys that we think might be there. Right? I'm not trying to downplay that actual risk. What I'm saying, though, is to frame this as an eminent danger without, uh, maybe they know something we don't. It just seems like, you know, why would we blindly go along with what they're telling us is going to happen? These are the many of the same people that would otherwise tell you if you're wearing a red hat that you're a terrorist. Or the fact that they were telling you before this from the Democrat side that, as Whitney and I talked about, you know, we have it, we see a threat, we just don't know how to stop it. It's all this same conversation. It's about creating the idea that you, as an American, are the threat if you don't go along to get along. Which is how this would ultimately play out. One thing I find interesting too is the idea that we're talking about more control. Now, yes, in the mindset, it's applied to people over there coming across the border, but just like everything we've talked about, it goes both ways. 
the, you have more control. It applies when you try to leave too. And we've proven this so many times over the years. And really it just becomes about your life being controlled under the guise of a threat that may be there, or it could be something like we've seen over and over and over. But it says, as former senior executives of the FBI with deep experience combating dangers to the nation, do you trust the FBI? Do Republicans trust the FBI? Kind of funny how suddenly they believe what this is because it aligns with the agenda, even though the how long have they been, rightly so, in my opinion, attacking the FBI? I don't. I think it's a, a, a it's an entity that has been anti-American from the beginning, in my opinion. But it says we write to express our concern about a current specific threat that may be one of the most pernicious ever to menace the United States. Of course, biggest election of our lifetime, the biggest threat to our democracy, whatever the current thing is, that tends to be the biggest thing we've ever seen, right? The danger arises from the nature of the threat itself. Wars and espionage and bombings and riots are sadly familiar delivery systems of instability, intimidation, and security. Well, you guys should know you're very good at it. Continues has faced these and more throughout its history and is held together, not without struggle. The threat we call out today is new and unfamiliar. It, in its modern history, the U.S. has never suffered an invasion of the homeland, and this is where it's going. Don't forget, they were just telling you Hamas is going to be on your shore soon enough. It says one is unfolding now. Military-age men from across the globe, many from countries or regions not friendly to the United States, are landing in, in waves on our soil by the thousands. Where are they landing from? Are, do we have documentation of these ships or airplanes bringing them in, or are we just floating ideas that align with the idea that we're being invaded? Of course, because the FBI, people who want to believe are going to, well, they know, but otherwise would question everything they say if it doesn't align with your political stance. But the ultimate point is you're talking about landing in waves. So are we talking about coming across from Europe or are we talking about migrating from South America? And then how does that make sense? I think this is a narrative being set to make you think that you're in the risk of eminent invasion, which if we are, well, there's the same securities and setups that we already currently have. So the real argument they would make is that this would be overlap with the idea that there's secret terrorists funneling in through whatever Biden's letting into the country, which certainly could be the case. But that doesn't seem to be the same as a pending invasion in the context that they're framing here. It says, not by splashing ashore from ship or parachuting from a plane, but rather by foot across a border that has been accurately advertised around the world as largely unprotected. My point is that waves on our soil. You can't, you go not by plane or by boat, but then, okay, then how do you argue people by foot coming across the border are landing in waves on our soil? I don't, it seems very weird to me, but the ultimate point, at, largely unprotected and ready access granted. Now, I don't believe that's actually what is happening. Ultimately, I know that I do agree that there's very politicized action in the Biden's administration or the Democrats in general, or really, as I would see it, your government wants to allow this for destabilization purposes. But I guess it comes down to one side acting like, again, it's wide open versus the other side acting like nothing should be happening or rather that, that it's, you know, that there's justifiable protections. It says it would be difficult to overstate the danger represented by the presence inside our borders of what is comparatively a multi-division army of young single adult males from hostile nations. And like, where is this? I'm not saying it's not possible or that's not happening. My point is that why would we just take at face value this entire boogeyman threat that now turns it into exactly what we've been warning about? The threat is here. You. You may not think about it like that. You may be thinking you're pointing at the bad brown people coming in from the country. But when they look in, it becomes anybody. 
We're now suddenly under scrutiny because, well, there's terrorists everywhere because of what happened. This is turning the war inward, which, by the way, it's always been. The war on domestic terrorism has been very clear, but it's always truly been their focus. You. And however they can make that the case. But it says, from hostile nations and regions whose background intent or allegiance is completely unknown. So, wait a minute. They're hostile nations, but their intent and allegiance is completely unknown. Well, if they're hostile, then that's obviously their... I mean, the point is, you're making this out to be people who are dangerous because they come from places that this country has deemed dangerous. Like Iran. Right? Bad guys. Every one of them. Isn't it the exact opposite your government argues? Aren't they the ones saying we're fighting for the Iranian people? Like it's, it's, you, I'm not, you can see the flimsy nature of the way they frame this. They want you to think anybody out there is a potential threat because then you are part of their agenda. See something, say something. Look at that person. He may be a bad guy because he looks like an Iranian. How have we gotten here again? It's ridiculous. Now it says they include individuals encountering, encountered by border officials and they, possibly released into the country, along with a shockingly high estimate of gotaways, meaning those who have entered and evaded apprehension. Okay, so I'm not seeing the terrorist elements you're talking about. I'm seeing immigration, illegal in some cases, that aren't being dealt with. And then the floated, hypothetical, undefined worry that there is multi-division armies of young single adult males from hostile nations. Where's that? Now, but to be to be clear, let's not forget the argument like with Venezuela, for example. Remember when they were hyping the same thing? It's all military age males coming across. And I showed you video after video after video of all sorts of people, women and families and children and everybody. But of course, you get these special clips of people that look just. That's being deceived by very clear partisan manipulation. But it says, and again, that's not even to say that they're not being used in that way. But it's important to recognize how many times we've been played just like this. In light of such a daunting, unprecedented penetration by uninvited foreign actors, is it necessarily unprecedented? I, I felt like what we were seeing during the Venezuela caravan was way bigger than what we're seeing right now. It says, it is reasonable to assess that the country possesses dramatically diminished national security at this time. Is that true? So this one razor wire area, suddenly our entire national security is at risk? Doesn't seem like that makes much sense. We still have all the same securities and protections and federal board. I mean, it's we have more security and surveillance and personnel and than, than most countries, guys. Doesn't mean they're still not abusing the border. My point is to make this seem like we're suddenly at the, the from our Republican mindset, trusting the FBI, apparently, it is that we are diminished, our security's down, we're a threat, and everyone's coming to get us. Is that actually what's happening or is it the reverse? The nation's military and laws and other natural protective barriers have been provided traditional security in the past, have been thoroughly circumvented over the past three years. I just I don't think that's true. In 2021, and by the way, well, of course, in the past three years, which makes it unique to only vote Joe Biden, which is, of course, the, the frame here. In 2021, the demographics of those crossing the, pro, the, the porous southern boundary started to shift. Young men from around the world traveling alone and holding questionable motivations dramatically increased in number to become the most common profile of those breaching the nation's borders. Now, there's a real concern there if you believe that's accurate, which to me would be indicative of weaponized migration, which would then argue that there's somebody doing that to us. And that needs to be sussed out. What's the actual point here? And is this an effort to destabilize this country for somebody else's benefit? That's a real concern. A startling number have been found on the terrorist watch list or are from countries designated as state sponsors of terror. 
you know, that completely meaningless thing they do to countries that won't align their place, their, their government with Israel, like the Sudan, who are terrorists one day and not the next because they do what you're asked. But they didn't change anything they're actually doing. That's how meaningless that is. Or that they label countries that are completely not like countries like Iran, which people who are in the you know mindset of the two-party paradigm might lash out about and say, how dare you say that aren't terrorist nations. That in fact, are wildly technologically advanced that are more at this point, seemingly more de- democratic than what we're dealing with in this country. But the point is that because of the framing of the religious differences, people don't know any better. But that becomes a designated person from a state sponsor of terror. And then they're a bad guy by default. This is a particular, I mean, you realize they're talking about people from Yemen, people from Gaza. These are people that have been starved and suppressed and manipulated their entire lives because of your country. This is particularly alarming in light of the Hamas terror attack. There it is on Israel last October 7th. Those of us who have fought terrorism know that historically successful terror attacks invite mimicry. So we're not worried about the ongoing genocide of 30,000 plus innocent people. We're worried about somebody else acting in the same way again, in this country. How does that even make sense? Where's the logical connection to Hamas, who was funded by Israel, clearly, and the United States, to suddenly carrying out an attack here? You know, a what they tell us, a 30,000 group that's existing inside of an open-air prison that has no presence elsewhere other than Qatar in its offices that what they work with right now. To me, that sounds most likely like your government's going to utilize its asset to justify this. It says, we know as well that terror leaders intentionally cultivate throngs of young men possessing a certain easily manipulated personality type to carry out atrocities. They're speaking about themselves, guys. That's what the FBI does. Exactly that. It says, it is stark to say so, but having a large number of young adults now within our borders who could begin attacking gatherings of unarmed citizens. So just <laughs> so because they're men and from bad guy countries, this, this ambiguous, really? who could just start randomly attacking everybody in imitation of 10-7 and the behest of a foreign terror group must be considered a distinct possibility. Okay, that screams false flag to me. Of course, you could disagree. Call me a conspiracy theorist. How many times we have seen this coming? You're telling us about exactly what even Israel warned about, which many of us took as a threat. Should you do this? If you don't let us do this, Hamas will be on your shores. Yep. That's my opinion. I very strongly think this is about setting the table for what they're going to accomplish. We would be remiss not to call out this potentially grave threat in the most direct terms. The warning lights are blinking. We've heard this so many times, in many cases where nothing ultimately happens. And yet, it says this very real concern does not seem to be getting the focus it logically deserves. The director of the FBI has correctly assessed an elevated threat since 10-7. Of course. Of course you have, but relatively little discussion has followed highlighting unsecured borders as a secure cause, a significant cause of this increasingly dangerous environment. It is troubling concern that needs elimination. Now let's stand back for a second. What do we actually have here that suggests this? We have FBI, former FBI and government employees writing a letter about some some ambiguous, unverifiable threat. We've got the Israel aspect driving that concern that we might be at threat from the thing they're fighting. And we've got some razor wire disagreement in Texas, which is building into some massive civil war hype, which very well could be there. And states' rights conversation is paramount. And so, too, is the idea of whether that's the border is secure. But where's the actual threat here? I know a lot of Republicans would shove a lot of things into your face about, you know, like things like we just showed you, like that guy who they misattributed. That's the kind of stuff you get shown. Where is the bigger, give me some evidence that shows me the documented reality of what the FBI just tried to explain. 
And I will talk about it because these things matter. But I do not think that's what we're seeing. So my worry is that this is another setup to get the, get people hyped up. Oh, hold on. Did I skip the... Uh... thought it was on the last page. Here, let me go forward in case I missed that. Oh, yeah, just the signatures. Here's the last part. It says, any violation of the nation's immigration laws increases risks. But the surge in numbers of single military-age males descending upon America's cities and towns is alarming and perilous. Now, where is that information coming from? Right? We should, at the very least, ask whether that's not true. And if it is, then we should ask why that's happening and where it's coming from. Like, it's weird that we shift into this immediate internal focus and only about Biden and Texas dynamic instead of going, okay, well, who the hell's doing that? Where's it all coming from? It says, additionally, they are not just from terror-linked regions, but from China and Russia as well. Hostile adversaries. So, so really? So you're telling me that we've got random and, and dis- ran- like intermittent Amer- uh, military-age males that are coming from multiple countries that you name as bad guy, China, from Russia, from over here, and somehow that's all some collective single threat? That, just, that seems like, I think to me, that is about floating as many possibilities as possible. You know, they don't know who you individually care about more. Do you think China's the biggest threat? Do you think Russia's the biggest threat? Do you think this random terror link group threat? Well, they they put them all out there for you. Whatever sticks, you take what you like. It says, for these reasons, elements of this recent surge are likely no accident or coincidence. These men are potential operators in what appears to be an accelerated and strategic penetration, a soft invasion designed to gain internal access to a country that cannot be invaded militarily in order to inflict catastrophic damage if and when enemies deem it necessary. Do you think that's ever not been happening? That, that doesn't, we sh- this is something, of course, we should be concerned about. But I think the only reason, like my question about this is why now? Do you realize this has been an ongoing thing for a really long time? You could argue there's a bigger surge right now, but quite frankly, I don't think so. I think you can prove that there's been past examples that were bigger. Maybe it'll get bigger now. My point is, why now? Right? Why why did suddenly everybody care about the razor wire today or yesterday or the day before when this conversation, not the razor wire, but the actual issue has been ongoing? Why are they only just now suddenly saying that right now we're seeing this? You know, it, it seems very deliberate to be now based on the election, based on the, inter, the, the Israel foreign policy conversation, based on the fact that they're building the idea that you are an internal threat to the safety of this country because you said the wrong thing. That's what this feels like more than anything. And I desperately want to people to hear me, especially the MAGA Republicans, the Republicans in general, don't take the bait. Care about this. Speak out about this. To rush down there with weapons or to act in some violent way is only going to give them exactly what they want. Now it says, this new reality, this never seen before threat. Now what's never seen before about that? That's my point from before. This idea has been studied and talked about. I mean, good. this paragraph is literally weaponized migration. That's what it is. Or rather specifically weaponized immigration. So it's not new. There have been entire studies written about it. It's been talked about. It's been done before. And now suddenly it's a never seen before threat that we've talked about many times. Seems pretty wrong to me. The borders need to be secured against these young men and those already here illegally must be identified and removed without delay. Well, I mean, the obvious argument is if somebody's here illegally, they're breaking the law and that should be dealt with. You can't just disregard the the laws that you force everybody else to follow. That's always been the stance there for me. But that is a problem. But then that becomes anybody who is a migrant suddenly becomes illegal in the sense of the, you know, partisan level arguments. 
But it says this will take the coordinated cooperative efforts of the FBI, of course, Department of Homeland Security, of course, and the rest of the intelligence community. Great. So let's unleash our intelligence apparatus to suss out the bad guys along amongst you. How do you think that's going to work out for you? Well, one, one more round of McCarthyism. Let's get this rolling all back around again, right? You, anybody suspected, see something, say something, call on your neighbors because they're all suspect terrorists. That sounds fun. We encourage these actions and much greater congressional attention to this threat. The country has been invaded. That's a static. They're just saying that this country has been invaded. An invasion that will continue as long as the nation's enemies perceive it will be tolerated. How can you state something like that without actually showing anything you can actually wrap your mind around? Like things you can actually hold. This, those, those are ambiguous threats based on unprovable numbers that I haven't seen anywhere that could be true. It says until it is stopped, which again is how exactly, there will always be a level of illegal immigration. So really, they're arguing to stop the open flow, which I don't think is actually what's happening. Until it is stopped, the United States is extraordinarily less safe and secure. Knowing all of this, it would be a shameful travesty if some terrible attack, a preventable attack, were to occur. That sounds pretty ominous. Against innocent Americans, an infrastructure that keeps the nation safe. You know, a shameful travesty if some random attack should happen. I just hope you recognize that there's not really a reason this is taken, put out now versus a month ago or a year ago. It just happens to be right now, and that makes me really concerned about what later happens. So I'll include these conversations so you can understand where I'm coming from. January 6th, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA grown Azov battalion, as well as the follow-up on this later, which was January 6th was always a very clear government operation. And I really feel strongly that this is happening again. Don't take the bait. Now, Thomas Massey also had an interesting point. All this screaming and hype, you know, civil war conversation. He says, everyone's overthinking this. Congress can simply render the five to four Supreme Court decision against Texas irrelevant by simply refusing to fund Biden's removal of border security measures. It's really that simple. Interesting point. All right. So you could argue that this, the only reason I think that's important. I, I'm usually you know, not a fan of the inner political dynamics, but the idea is that we're talk, we're, we're bringing this fever pitch to the level of civil war at this point. Some people are. When he's simply pointing out that, look, if you wanted to, you could take political action that could stop this immediately. I don't think that's what they want. You see my point? I think this is about driving the division and the destabilization for their benefit. When really there's a simple way you could just using your own already power, the power you already have to stop the funding, which would stop his action. If you, if you agree with what he's saying, I just think that's an interesting point. Now, let's bring this into the other conversation. Interestingly enough, here are Jews and Muslims and Christians together marching in unity in Texas. Not that there's a connection. I just think it's interesting to show you there's a lot of other big things happening in the world. And I think it's important to recognize that razor wire and the hypothetical fears around it all are not the largest thing happening in the world that we need to care about. But we should care about it because I'm happy to see the conversation of states' rights actually being had but I get the sneaking suspicion that will become a secondary topic very soon, if not already, because they don't want you thinking about that. But I think it's important to see that around the world, in this case, Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and anybody, people just who, are rec who can recognize that Israel's committing genocide, whatever their nationality, wherever they're from, whatever their religion, just willing to go, you're committing genocide, you're murdering people, and you're acting like the victim. We cannot allow this around the world. So let's talk about this conversation. Let's see how time we got. About two hours. I think we should be able to get through most of this. 
Tiberius, I just want to start with this statement. And by the way, going forward on this conversation, guys, if you've got more you want to send me, like I guarantee there's plenty of people that were infuriated about my take, and it's always the case. Just speaking from the heart about what I think. If you think there's something important that will change my opinion about X, Y, and Z, send it to me. Even if you think that I'm some kind of, you know, the point is, as much as you may disagree, assumptive-wise, I do care about other people's opinions, and I care about facts, right? So if you've got something like that, and you want to show me, like I was having this conversation with my brother, actually, about, you know, to what degree are these illegals, and to what degree are these simply people that are involved with this process that aren't even being allowed the opportunity to go through that process, or are and are still being called illegal, or the case of, I said before, of the Biden administration just making like a unilateral policy decision and saying, we're going to offer them asylum. Now, you could argue that violates the law, but it's interesting to see that there's precedent in that sense of the president being able to do certain things. And that just becomes a, a disagreement on how it should happen. And you could argue the action is be going way over the top to bring this to some civil war level when it's just about we disagree with how you should handle that. In hit, before that, they would argue you should go through your political process, which, you know, you know, my opinion on that. In any case. I'm interested to see if you've got facts to back up certain things about how many people and these military age males, everything about this tells me. And that's why I kind of drug my feet on even covering it because something tells me that this is going to fizzle out into nothing or it is my biggest worry that it is what I'm worried it is, which is a, an effort to drag people into a violent confrontation to justify and possibly give Biden more political points before the election, help with something going on internationally, all these different elements of it, but using you to achieve their ends, which is pretty much always what the government does. So you've got more. I'm interested. Reach out. So starting with this Tiberius point, I think this is interesting. Good morning to everyone who supports a free and sovereign Palestine. Today, and this is on the 26th, yesterday, today, thanks to the incredible steadfastness of the Palestinian people in the face of massive U.S.-backed tyranny, who merely ask for their basic human rights and dignity in, in being able to live free from brutal occupation and daily oppression, you know, God forbid, the whole world gets to find out whether international law exists at all. We owe them so much already. We have, as a so-called international community, let them down in ways I've never witnessed in my life. I hope today we begin to repay that debt. Good luck to South Africa and those supporting. Uh, good luck to justice. Good luck to liberation. Good luck to human rights. Good luck to dignity and reason. Good luck to peace. Good luck to humanity. And most of all, good luck to the Palestinian people who deserve so much more than the court's decision. Now, unfortunately, he did this early on the 26th, uh, which I would have got to yesterday, but uh, talking today, unfortunately, they did stop short of demanding a ceasefire, which I'm, you, I would imagine you all know by now. But I do not think this is as bad as a lot of people made it out to be. And let's go through this so you can understand the decision. And, and just so we, first of all, before we go past, I want to start with this. This is, and by the way, I think I, I'm only just now realizing stupidly enough that her hearts stand for Palestine. <laughs> I've been saying we are all hearts. Her name at the current moment is we are all Palestine, which I appreciate. Does the math on this, and this again is posted on yesterday. So this was later in the day, as I understand, I believe. Yeah, or no, it's actually 4 a.m. So the point is, though, while they're being accused of genocide, and while this ruling is taking place, not only have they not stopped, and I'll show you afterward that even after the statements, they only went harder, they've increased what they're doing. Ghassan Abusita, who is the doctor who I believe is now back in London, but he was working in, in Al-Shifa. I forget if, where he is currently now. 
But he says, Israel has killed 13,022 Palestinian children in just 111 days. 13,000 children in just 111 days. And then she does the math, which breaks down to 117 children every day. 117 children every day. That means right now, in the process of today, which now at this point, it would be yesterday for, for Gaza, 117 children died. In the process of their not genocide, I just don't know how anybody can imagine that this is not exactly what it looks like. Al Jazeera has done something that I think will shock people and, you know, that will wake them up, hopefully. It's called Know Their Names. Now, remember, Israel did this about the the names they put out about the people from October 7th. And, of course, that kind of, in a way, blew up in their face. But I, don't think why, I think that's why they don't put it out anymore. It turned out that you could very clearly see that most of them were military. Sergeant this and Colonel that, right? Nonetheless, sad that innocent people were taken. But this is just children. Palestinian children killed in Israel attacks on Gaza. It says the Gaza Strip is a graveyard for thousands of children, the United Nations has said. At least 10,000 children, if not more. How many are buried under the rubble? I don't even know. But it says one Palestinian child is killed every 15 minutes. More than that based on the last number we showed you. But one out of every 100 children in Gaza has died. Thousands more are missing under the rubble. Now, you can see just barely in the background the names and what this says. And look how much this is. And it just says, here are just some of the children that have been, have been, have been killed. That image in the background. But then you can go through. And, and this is hard. This is hard to wrap your mind around. Zero-year-old. Didn't even reach the first birthday. I mean... I don't even know how we are how we can ever be okay with that. Just zero. And it goes on. One year old killed before they took their first steps. And it just goes on and on and on. Two year old. I mean, this is the most painful scroll I've ever done. I mean, it just sickens me. How how far do we go until we realize that we're, you know, these aren't Hamas members? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children, but they're only going after Hamas, right? Or human shields or people. Being, what about the children? What about the seven incubator babies that were left to rot when the IDF were told they were there? And that was later proven even by their own outlets. Was that because of Hamas? Or the controlled demolition of an untold amount of homes of people just because they want to create settlement locations? which is all provable to anyone with a brain and willing to be honest about this. It's They're telling you what they're doing. And let's just really quickly, before we get into the ICJ, I just want to wrap, I want to kind of act in an abstract way, wrap, well, let me put it this way, make it simple. The chief entity that is supporting Israel's genocide, who is clearly complicit in all this, is the U.S. government. Just in case you wondered why that might be, let's make sure we stand back and realize this is from 2023. 4.5 million deaths and counting in post 9-11 war zones. That is the that is the legacy of the US government. That's worse. I mean, compare that to history, it'll blow your mind. These aren't all terrorists, guys. The reality is the that even just look at Obama's record of the how many people it was something like 90% of the people that were killed were civilians in the drone bombings they did. And they still do them anyway. 4.5 million deaths and counting. That's not democracy. That's not fighting for freedom. That's terrorism. 
That is what terrorism looks like. If you really want to understand this, and it's not stopping, it's only getting worse. More and more and more. And now Israel's aspect to it has only driven this into a further... Dis- like right now, we like th- th- this literally drew the U.S. back into aggressively and openly bombing Yemen, a country they've been starving for over a decade. Hundreds of thousands of deaths, cholera outbreaks they've designed, attacks on the food infrastructure, and illegal blockade on the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, rather the port of Hodeida, which we're currently now understanding, even though I've been trying to show people why that was so important, as we're seeing the Bab el-Mandeb Strait and the Strait of Hormuz come into the way they're controlling the flow of everything. This is what they were trying to accomplish. And they took 4.5 million deaths to achieve what they want around the world. And that's freedom to them. Or at least that's what they scream at the top of their lungs. Here is important to understand. The International Court of Justice has ruled against Israel. All the corporate media is already downplaying it and acting like it didn't. The point is clear. First and foremost, they ruled that what Israel that the allegation of genocide has merit, which by the way is quite literally the opposite of what the U.S. government's been saying that it's meritless. And now they're literally at odds with what the International Court of Justice has found when historically they would always say you should follow what the court's ruling would be, right? Not now. Now they're tap dancing around answering that question because they know they can't say it because they would go afoul of their, however you want to look at it, their chief ally, their their controller. The point is that it does have merit. Now understand that this is this can go on for years, if not you know a year, I hope, unless, where the the court will come to a final ruling. This was because they know there's so much There's human lives at stake, 117 children a day, one every 15 minutes. So they felt obligated to push out some preliminary rulings. Now, yes, they fell short of seeking, of claiming they need, or rather, they, they fell short of ruling that a ceasefire was demanded. But I'll show you why the lack of declaring a ceasefire in this context was not like I, the point is that as I'll show you that the everything they demand the only way to achieve that is through ceasefire so i see this as sort of a very i mean look, we've always known the icj is a fair is is political in its in and of itself it's a politicized entity that's you know so it's important to see it that way but even though that's the reality i think that they still did what they felt like they, this was them coming out and saying israel's doing this but they didn't say ceasefire because i think they knew that was a very sticky point so they played their political game knowing that what they argued still would demand ceasefire they just didn't go as far as saying that so it's like you know it's a it's a meek step i would argue i think if you care about this you would come out and just say what you really believe even if it would get changed but maybe they kind of realized that if they didn't do it that way that they would get less I, i really don't know it's upsetting to me that they did not rule that did not demand a ceasefire but let me show you why I still think it's a win. I mean, it obviously is either way because they're ruling the opposite of what everyone's been saying. There is something here. The International Court of Justice ruled that Israel's actions in Gaza plausibly breached the genocide, the genocide convention. The ICJ ordered several injunctions on Israel but stopped short of ordering a ceasefire in Gaza. On Friday, the ICJ announced it ordered small limita- several limitations on how Tel Aviv should wage war in Gaza. The court, right right out of the gate, understand Israel said, we don't care, we're not going to do it, which is just what we told you from the beginning, which makes the U.S. government look really stupid because they're acting like they're the rules-based international order. And then when Israel just ignores it, they go, well, it's a ruling we disagree with. Oh, so you're telling me countries could just disagree and then not do it? Not not by every other statement before this, but 
They're such hypocrites. It's just so overwhelmingly obvious today. Thank God people are finally seeing it. But they've ordered this. The court ordered Israel to punish soldiers who commit war crimes, which they won't do, and allow more aid in the besieged strip, which they won't do. The ICJ was not expected to rule if the actions of Israel's politicians and military accounted to genocide. Wait, it was not expected to rule if the actions of the politicians and military amounted to genocide. Still, the court deemed South Africa's claims that Israel was committing genocide in Gaza had merit to have sufficient merit to move forward. Right. That's important. So the point is that it is does have merit, despite what the U.S. government keeps dismissing because they're complicit in genocide. The ICJ judges voted on the decisions 15 to 2 and 16 to 1. The no votes came from Judge Julia uh, Sabun, uh, Sabun T. How do you say that? Sabutin, that's <laughs> weird, of Uganda, and uh, an ad hoc judge, Aaron Barak of Israel, of course. The Ministry of International Relations of South Africa, Nalidi uh, Pandor, celebrated the ruling as a victory. Says, quote, I would thank the judges of the ICJ for dealing with the matter expeditiously. The state of Israel is called upon by the judges to act to protect, protect civilians and to protect the massive level of harm that we have seen since the Israel action began. Now, it says Pandor argued the ICJ ruling amounted to a de facto ceasefire, which is important. How, I mean, as he said, I'll show you the clip. How do you provide aid and water without a ceasefire? If you read the other by implication, the ceasefire must happen. So it's very it's political, but they still ultimately argue that these things need to, ha to happen. And as well, that they are, in fact, putting people at risk. So I just don't know how you get away from this as the U.S. government, because Israel doesn't care. I told you they wouldn't care. How, as the U.S. government, though, who's pretty much the barrier between, you know, you get the State Department briefings, they're putting it to them all the time. Like, what do you think? What do you think? It's, it's impossible for them because they're twisting themselves into pretzels to, to argue that what they're doing isn't a violation of what they literally said should happen before. So they ruled and they are putting people at risk and they need to take these actions. Israel said no, and they're just letting it go. So this is the point they were making in the article before. This is that we thanking Palestine or rather that Tobias was making. Thank Palestine for showing you that international law doesn't really exist. I mean, it, there's a there's an outline and some people abide by it, but you can see that the ones using it as a political tool couldn't care less about it. It says there is resentment towards the court for failing to order the Israeli ceasefire says, quote, there is a great deal of frustration and resentment because of one element that every single Palestinian across the Gaza Strip, including children, were waiting for is an end to this madness, a secession of all hostilities and the ongoing intense bombing. That's from Al Jazeera. Now, the point is, let's not forget, as much as they scream lies about it, even the corporate media covers it, honestly, which is crazy, that God, Hamas has been offering a ceasefire deal for a full exchange for all hostages really since the very beginning. And there was a moment where they pulled back on that waiting for something else. But then now they're, they've offered it numerous times. As I understand it, there's a new development where they're now going back to negotiation. But the point continues that Israel offers some three-day ceasefire for a small exchange, which is meaningless because I've already proven to you that over the next week, they scoop them back up and round up even more. So all it really amounts to is a pause where they can pretend they brought in some aid and they go right back to killing them all and they scoop up more people. So it's a ploy. So what Hamas is calling for is a real ceasefire and aid and real hostage exchange. Now, as Israel pretends that's what they're really fighting for, which is their hostages, it becomes a, fa a false premise when you see they refuse it for the, for the war. 
which at the very least, as I've been saying from day one, which has been proven now, they care about the war more than they do about the people on the ground. Even if it's just a secondary point. It says, well, Tel Aviv has said that it will ignore the ICJ ruling and Washington has routinely dismissed South Africa's genocide argument as meritless, exact opposite of what was found. The ruling will likely do significant damage to Israel's reputation around the globe, which is one of the positive things here. Not that, you know, that it's an attack on their reputation because it's a, you know, we hate them. It's because their reputation is illegitimate. They are not what they pretend to be. They are an illegal entity, a legal Zionist entity that is murdering people as fast as I've ever seen. That reputation deserves to be seen for what it is. Executive Vice President of the Quincy Institute, Trista Parsi, explained that the ruling was a massive victory for the Palestinian movement. Says this is a devastating blow to Israel's global standing. To put it in context, Israel has worked ferociously for the past two decades to defeat the BDS movement. You know, manipulating through Greg Abbott to do it. Boycott, divestment, and sanction. Which is funny because that's exactly what they would tell you to do when you're going, you know, you're out there fighting with guns even though you have a legal right to resistance. And they say, it's because you're a terrorist. Why don't you go through politics? Then they go through politics and they go, you're a terrorist because you're trying to boycott or you don't believe we should exist. So it's just, they, the point is they don't want anything. They want you to sit back and accept your annihilation. But it says not because it will have a significant economic impact, but because all of this, because all of the manner that could delegitimize Israel internationally. Now it says, uh, Parsi's post continued, however, the ruling of the ICJ that Israel is plausibly engaged in genocide is far more devastating to Israel's legitimacy than anything BDS could have achieved. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but I think at the moment it seems to be more powerful. President Joe Biden has maintained his unconditional support for Israel. Of course he has. He's completely complicit with this. Even if he doesn't feel that way, you're locked in now. Washington has continued to supply Tel Aviv with bombs, even as Israel has used American weapons to attack civilian targets, which has been proven by Amnesty International and even plenty of other groups, independent, and even, even I think it was, I'm blanking if it was CNN or somebody else, but they recently just covered that, showing this exact dynamic. Oh, as well as the fact that I, I'll include this almost every time. Rets covered the New York Times investigation that proved that they are, in fact, using the most destructive bombs, specifically in the areas they're told are safe. And they're using the 2,000-pound bombs, which are provided by the United States. They know what's going on, guys. They've got people on the ground. This is all a big lie. They know they're annihilating Palestinians, and they're okay with it. At some level, they know, because it's unbelievably obvious. And they do not care. It is unclear how the White House will respond to the ruling. On th- I'll show you how they're responding, essentially. On Thursday, when asked, which I'll show you, if parties would abide by whatever they rule, which if it was literally anybody else, if this was about Iran, they would be like, absolutely. If it was Russia, they'd be like, of course, you have to follow what they say. <laughs> it says, I would not opine or anything like that, given this is a legal process, and I'm not going to hypothesize and speculate. Ridiculous. Obviously, you could say, yes, if they rule, you should abide by it or not. You can't just be like, well, based on the context, I'll decide then. <laughs> so you're ridiculous. You're a hypocrite, obviously. Now, here is what the South African foreign minister said. To comply with this the ruling, it did in fact, even though it wasn't specified, it means they have to have a The order cannot be implemented well, in any way, you, shape, or form. How do you transport humanitarian aid without a ceasefire? Exactly. How would you provide uh, water, access to energy, how do you ensure Civilians uh, are not that those who are injured uh, have uh, health care and yeah. so on? Uh, without a ceasefire, uh, none of these things uh, can be done. So 
if you read the order by implication, a ceasefire must happen. Yes. That's the order cannot be implemented in any way, shape, or form without a ceasefire. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, they're right. The point is Israel's not going to do any of it. So the simple reality is that they were never going to abide by it, which is what we told you. But it, that this is a process. And the reality now is to just to show you how illegitimate they are. But they, they actively are ignoring the ruling simply because they are. And now what you might expect is happening, which is I'll come to it in a second. which is the, the, the obvious reality, which always takes place. No, it's all right here. They're all anti-Semitic. I hate Jews. Everybody is against it. All about it. Oh, oh, they work for Hamas. That just, it's just it's just clumsy. Just anybody anywhere that comes out in power, they they must be. They're just Hamas now. UN is Hamas. These people work for you know. It, that's that's all they're doing. We'll come to it. It's embarrassing. Francis Boyle spoke up and on the order and said this is a massive, overwhelmingly legal victory for the Republic of South Africa against Israel on behalf of the Palestinians. The UN General Assembly now can suspend Israel from participation, which I doubt will happen in its activities as it did for South Africa and Yugoslavia. It can admit Palestine as a full member, and especially since the International Criminal Court has been a farce, it can establish a tribunal to prosecute the highest levels of officials of the Israeli government, both civilian and military. I doubt that'll happen. Yeah, so he says, do you think this will actually happen? Sam Hussein, he says, I don't. I need to get him back on the show. But it's important for, the, for us to push for it. I would agree with that. The interesting thing about it, though, is that another interesting argument was recently made about, I think it was Article 6, in regard to removing the United States government from the UN discussion, which I'm in no way saying I, I have faith in the UN body. But what's interesting is that if you were to remove, and my point's always been, the, U, I don't, the UN body is corrupt, in my opinion, but the individual nations and the seats they have, it's even if they you don't trust the individual government, you never should. Their own interests are at odds all the time. And you could argue that that, you know, some like I've said before, sometimes what we see as right just happens to align with their agendas. And so my point would be that if you remove or what they're arguing, you remove the U.S. and their veto power, which is the only which is basically what controls all of this. And you know how many times literally everybody but the U.S. and Israel vote yes and they just vote no and veto it. It happens all the time. So it's, it's, it's the whole thing is moot. And their point is, well, we, if you remove the U.S. from this dynamic. There might actually be some real process, or it'll be co-opted a different way. Nonetheless, I do agree with that. It's obvious that you can't have single veto power over the every other country in the world, because then it means nothing. That Selim spoke up, the Israeli human rights group, and said the only way to implement the orders issued today is by International Court of Justice in The Hague is through an immediate ceasefire. It is impossible to protect civilian life as long as the fighting continues. Everybody knows this. Now, Clay, uh, Clayson uh, Maniella makes a great point here. He says, read the order carefully. And I do have the full order here, by the way, you guys can check out. He says, the state of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one. And these are killing of members of a group, Palestinians, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm. That's in order to halt military operations immediately. It really is. So ultimately what they're saying is that this, you, it's, they're not saying ceasefire, but in a sense, not just because of what would need to happen to effectively achieve what the ICJ put out, but these individual points make it pretty clear. But again, they're not going to follow it anyway. But I do agree with what he's saying. It's like, I think this was a tactful move by them, which I disagree with, to make it essentially a, a ceasefire without saying that, to have saved themselves some political problems. 
But he says here, to be clear, the ICJ has effectively ordered immediate ceasefire and for Israel to halt military operations. And as you described before, Arnaud Batran says that's actually a very important, excellent point. Maybe the ICJ did actually order a ceasefire after all. It's kind of what I think happened. But I still think it's a, a, a weak move. Just come out and say it, man. That's what we need today. Honesty. But it ordered Israel to ensure the immediate effect that they stop these things. So I kind of think that that's what's happening. Now, Ali uh, Abunama from the Electronic Intifada says, a, a, a ceasefire, in quotes, is what you demand in an armed conflict. In a genocide, which is not, you know, an equal battle, it's what we're seeing today, an occupied entity being, you know, fish in a barrel, essentially. In a genocide, you demand an immediate end to all genocidal acts. And that is exactly what the ICJ ordered with immediate effect. So he says, please stop helping Israel spin its historic defeat as a win. That's an interesting point. I, I, I do think that some people out there, I mean, like myself, I have criticism. I still think that what they did was falling short. But in no way should this be framed as Israel winning, which is, by the way, what the corporate media seems to be doing. And I'll even I think I might have included it. There's even a, a mainstream discussion where they're saying, you know, that, oh, I hope I included that, where basically what they're saying is that they agreed with Biden, that the ruling of the ICJ was agreeing with Biden, which is, I mean, my God, these people are desperate to make it what they want it to be. Not saying that their gen, the accusation of genocide has merit is literally the opposite of what Biden was saying, that it has merit, that it's meritless. So it's pathetic. But it says, equally important, he goes on, Ali says, is to remember that the ICJ ruling is not about what Israel will do. And I agree with him. Israel's going to ignore any ruling. I agree. This is about forcing the rest of the world to take seriously their obligations to stop an entity now officially accused of genocide by the world's highest court. Because you have to understand, per the Geneva Conventions and, and international law, the point is that these other uh, signet, well, I th actually, no, I think it's specifically to the ICJ. I forget which, which, I think it's all of it in general, but the point being that they're, because they're signatories to this, they're obligated to stand up and stop what is being called genocide individually. So the, his point is that this ruling is, they know Israel's not going to care, but now it's on these other countries to, to show whether they will abide by the legal argument that they have to stop what is being called genocide. And now it officially is. Now you can read this. It's not incredibly long, but it's it's the entire ruling. I will just play you the clips here of what they effectively read out. Furkan Guzakara is the one that shared this. Here's what here's what she said. It's four minutes. I shall now read out the operative part of the order. For these reasons, the court indicates the following provisional measures. One, by 15 votes to two, the state of Israel shall in accordance with its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in relation to the Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention, in particular, A, killing members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, and D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Branch, Judge Adhok Moseneke, against... Judge Sebatinde, 
Rajat Haq Barak. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one above. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Kevorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Adhok Moseneke. Against, Judge Sabatinde, Judge Adhok Barak. By 16 votes to one, the State of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Now, really quickly to both those points, the problem from, from you know, Israel's perspective and the way U.S. will, in the sycophant nature, they always react with Israel will defend, is that they claim that's not happening, right? What the people said individually is their own, they say, with, you know, whatever, the, the ultimately saying that even the Amalek thing was that you don't understand the passage, right? Or that we're not committing acts of aggression or uh, targeted attacks or whatever, that it's Hamas and it's human shields, and therefore it makes sense. So their argument is already laid out. It's illegitimate. It has been from day one. That's what we, collective punishment is, a, is there for a reason. This whole their human shields aspect is just a, a, a momentary sidestep that they hope people would abide to, but abide by. But it's obvious that what that, what you're doing is just use like even the, the best example is the 400 people at the Jubilee refugee camp to what turns out to not even have been a person that was there. And that's, but that's justified to them. Think about that for a second. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judges Ad Hoc, Barak, Moseneke, against Judge Sebatinde. By 16 votes to one, the State of Israel shall take immediate and effective measures to ensure the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judges Ad Hoc, Barak, Moseneke. Against, Judge Sabatinde. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall take effective measures to prevent the destruction and ensure the preservation of evidence related to allegations of acts within the scope of Article 2 and Article 3 of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide against members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Do you really think that they're going to buy, <laughs> they're going to protect the evidence that proves they committed genocide? You know, it's just, it's, these are just statements that are meant to state the reality so you can later prove that they are in, illegitimate or illegal or criminals. But, you know, the argument that you're going to mandate that they have to not deploy, destroy evidence that proves they're guilty, it's never going to happen. In favor, President Biden, the same thing, the judges Tomka, shoot this off. Yusufson. Charlesworth, Judge Sebatin, the State of Israel shall submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to this order within one month as from the date of the order. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgan. So that's the point is we have to now wait a month 
but I, which they're already telling you what they're going to do, which is nothing. Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Trost. I think that's it. I yeah. shall now. So really, I just, th- that's just so you can see the kind of the quick overview and the voting. But I want to be clear that this is the part that I think is important to hear. The court concludes on the basis of the aforementioned considerations that the conditions required by its statute for it to indicate provisional measures are met. It is therefore necessary, pending its final decision, for the court to indicate certain measures in order to protect the rights claimed by South Africa that the court has found to be plausible. All right, so it's very clear. So first of all, the ruling will continue, but the re- they, they needed to prove that there was some reasonable issue here for them to have the, pre- the preliminary things that they discussed. So they're, com- they're telling you, look, right already this early in the process, it's clear that there is merit to this. They are committing crimes, whether that's genocide. That's the real question. That's what this is all about, because that's a legal term. But I think what's very clear is that if there's merit to these allegations, well, they're committing crimes potentially war crimes, but crimes for sure. And I think it's obviously war crimes. You're talking about human life. So let's just be clear about that. That's a gigantic win for the reality of what they're doing. Of course, stopping short for that one point is now being turned around to make it seem like they agreed with Biden, but she's just showing you how desperate their position is. The court recalls that it has the power under its statute when a request for provisional measures has been made to indicate measures that are in whole or in part other than those requested. In the present case, having considered the terms of the provisional measures requested by South Africa and the circumstances of the case, the court finds that the measures indicated need not be identical to those requested. Which is an interesting statement. You know, you've got to remember how political all of this is. Overall, I very much think this is a positive. Now, Rami Araya, who is the uh, Tunisian-American journalist covering events at the UN, says, worth remembering that U.S. government officials described South Africa's genocide case against Israel as meritless, counterproductive, and completely without basis in fact whatsoever, right? But the world's top court, which they otherwise tell you to abide by, including its American president, strongly disagreed today by ruling against Israel and in favor of provisional measures. Just really hear that. And I want you to listen. Oh, you know what? I don't think I downloaded this. Hold on a sec. Maybe I did. Hold on. Shoot. I forgot about that one. This is a a clip that Orwell shared with me. Yeah, I got it right here. So this is Kirby asking, asked point blank or directly, you know, how are you going to respond to this? And I think it's just hilarious the way these people act. Kirby, I wanted to ask you about the World Court uh, decision ordering Israel to prevent acts of genocide, uh, but it stopped short of ordering a ceasefire. Um, you have suggested multiple times that South Africa's claim uh, does not really have merit. Uh, and I'm wondering, how does the U.S. repair relations with South Africa, which is a big voice for non-aligned uh, countries in the global south? How is that your question? You guys are so bad at this. How it was, it was a, a effing layup. You've been saying it's meritless, and the biggest court in the world with multiple nations involved just ruled that it has so much merit that we have to put out provisional actions to stop what they're doing. What's your answer? It's like, my God, 
but you have to I mean, shift it into the, how is it going to affect your bilateral relations with South Africa? Like you, you totally buried the lead. You didn't bury the lead. You lost it. That's so frustrating. That's why I wish there's so many more people like the ones we see at the State Department briefings asking real questions. But listen to how he responds. Uh, aligned countries in the global south. How does the U.S. repair relations with South Africa, which is a big voice for non-aligned uh, countries in the global south? I don't believe that our disagreement over the uh, founding claim of the allegation uh, causes any permanent damage to the bilateral relationship with South Africa. We just happen to disagree on that point. Uh, but we're also going to keep working to, uh, on that relationship as we do many others. So you fundamentally believe the U.S., they claim that the U.S. is supporting a genocidal state. That is not going to impact relations with I South Africa. I don't believe I heard that from South Africa. South Africa. Oh, no? Did you not? Oops. South Africa to sue the U.S. and the U.K. for complicity in Gaza genocide. Or he doesn't want to hear it, right? Since this was January 15th when this happened, and he's very, very aware of that. These people are shifty, slimy manipulators, guys. That's what they do. Filed a, a, I don't believe I heard that from South Africa. South Africa filed a, 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 a case based on allegations that they believe genocide was being conducted by Israel. And you, because you're complicit, and they made that astoundingly clear. In Gaza, I don't believe it was directed at us at all. Yes, it was. We simply have said consistently, we find that that, that, that claim is, is unfounded. Right, and see, you, you had the nerve to say that after the starting of the question was that the ruling international body of court, the world court, which is also known as, ruled that it does have merit. I mean, it's just so inherently stupid. Like this whole game, it, it, the main point to take away is that these people will lie about anything any expense as long as it benefits them. Um, and, you know, the, the court also did not find uh, Israel guilty uh, of genocide. Yeah, but the ruling hasn't happened yet. They did, in fact, find that there was merit to the allegation, which is the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah, to pretend like they didn't rule the genocide. Well, no, they haven't finished the court, the case. That is just a political tap dance. And again, yeah, they really did, Kirby. And I know you know that. They, they're literally suing you for complicity in the genocide. So the point of the question was, how do you go forward with a group who's calling you murderer? And he just tap danced around it because that's what they do. Now here, going back a day before, this is from the 25th. And I find this to be hilarious as well. This is, what's his name here? Uh, Vindat Patel, who is meekly moving around the, the question. I mean, look, if again, I mean, I probably could have found historical context. If you ask them, should Iran abide by the ruling, they would be like unequivocally yes, no matter what, because it's an important body. And that's what he even says before. And they, they call it out that this is an important body. But now, because it's not something that will work for them, will they just act like it's not important and we're not sure or the context matters? Well, not for anybody else that you don't like. Some something from the International Court of Justice tomorrow. The U.S. has obviously said that the, the South African case uh, against Israel is meritless. But um, you also said, you know, in your in your statements related to the to the case that uh, uh, the, the ICJ, ICJ is, as you know, is a principal organ of the UN. It plays a vital role in uh, the peaceful, peaceful settlement, settlement of disputes. disputes. So, you know, ahead of this ruling, <laughs> is there that. anything you would say regarding, you know, if if um, Provisional measures are advised by the court should parties uh, abide by them. Uh, I, I would not opine on anything like that, given that this is an, uh, a, a coward process and I'm not going to uh, hypothesize or. 
you're, no one's asking you to hypothesize. The point is, should they ask them, demand of them action? Should they follow it? Obviously, that's the easiest question in the world. Anybody else, especially Russia, China, they would be like, oh, 100%. Absolutely. And then go back to the thing he said. It's a, whatever he said, central part of the, whatever, acting on that no longer matters when it's about people that you are on the side of. Speculate um, on any kind of outcome. Uh, what I will just what say said. again, and uh, we spoke to this when the uh, arguments are. On- I mean, just to be clear. That's like saying, should the UN decide something? Should countries follow that? You don't go. Well, I don't want to guess about what's going to happen. That has nothing to do with what's going to happen. It's a hypothetical, generalized question about whether they should follow rulings of the World Court. He knows that. All this does is prove to you these people are dishonest. Ongoing is, is that the uh, allegations that uh, Israel is committing genocide uh, we believe to be uh, unfounded, uh, unfounded. Uh, but simultaneously, we will continue to make clear uh, with our partners in Israel that they not only need to comply with international humanitarian law as it conducts this operation against Hamas, but uh, they also have a moral and strategic imperative to take uh, feasible steps, additional steps to. You know how infuriating it is to just keep saying that as they do explicitly the opposite and destroy all in civilian infrastructure and kill 30,000 innocent people. And they ever like, well, we've implored them to do everything. Okay, so you went from they're doing everything to now you implore them to do. So at least you can argue that they're no longer doing everything they can just by deductive logic. But they see they've trapped themselves. Everybody sees through this. I really believe that. I think literally everybody. The only people supporting this are people that have already agreed with the agenda and don't really care about the outcome. To prevent uh, civilian harm uh, and that they also have a responsibility to investigate uh, credible allegations of violations of international humanitarian law when they... He's just stumbling through his words. I mean, God, this guy, it's, you know, I, I can't tell whether this person is somebody who doesn't care or you know, is just found himself in this job and is probably going to drop out in six months because it's just so hard to be a deceptive lying monster all the time. Right. But the way he's responding right here, it's like, you can see and feel it that he does not believe what he's saying. Right, in my but uh, I'm not going to get ahead of the process on this. But does, does following that, does following international humanitarian law extend to following humanitarian, uh, international law when, you know, the, the, the one, or well, one of the world's, uh, courts that can enforce international law rules on something should you know should countries be expected to to follow that i'm just uh, that he even made it more broad for you let's just remove it from the conversation should something happen tomorrow and should they rule on it should people follow that i'm not gonna guess about things he's just so meek and cowardly i have no way to ascertain or guess what the the ruling might be so i'm just gonna refrain from it that's suggesting you're waiting to see what the decision will be and then you'll you'll decide whether you Get him, Matt. See, Matt, I forgot Matt said that. That's a perfect point. You're not, so you're suggesting to wait to see what they say to then decide whether you should follow it? Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing. Should, you know, should countries be expected to, to follow that? I, I'm just, uh, th- that's, uh, I have no way to ascertain or guess what the, the ruling might be, so I'm just going to refrain from it. But in, gen- in general, I'm right. suggesting you're waiting to see what the decision will be, and then, you, then you'll decide whether you agree with the verdict or not. And if you don't agree with it, then... Uh, you'll say no, it's <laughs> but yes, and, and many other cases. Space. One that comes to mind is China and the Philippines and the South, South China Sea. You have called for the Chinese to uh, respect uh, those decisions. Right. Are you saying now that you're withholding judgment on whether 
countries should obey. Not at all. Not um, at all. I, uh, over I, the course of this, the ICJ? over the course of this, we've been pretty clear that um, it's our expectations that uh, all parties, including uh, the government of Israel, um, uh, comply with international humanitarian law. I will note. Ah, see, he skipped over it. Because he didn't say the rulings of the court. He said international law, which they'll argue they're not abiding by. Like, they're giving them outs. It's very intentional. Though that throughout all of this, Hamas certainly has not been. Uh, but what does that have to do with anything? Like, you see, he's reading off talking points provided by Israel. What the hell does Hamas have to do with ruling on what they're doing in Gaza? Like, just because they're fighting Hamas, which is what they're claiming, does not change. That's what the ICJ said from the very beginning. We'll acknowledge what Hamas is doing. That's part of this. But that put aside, we're ruling on your actions against Palestinians. That's it. Regardless of whether, I mean, let's take a face value. What you're saying about Hamas is true. Going forward, that's still a crime. That's the way they framed it. And he, he just has to sidestep into, but Hamas hasn't. So are you acting like Hamas is a legitimate state that you weigh next to your state? Or are they a terrorist group? And why would you compare yourself to a terrorist group? Very clumsy. All parties, including uh, not um, at all. I, I, over I, the course I, I of this, the ICJ? over the course of this, we've been pretty clear that um, uh, it's our expectations that uh, all parties, including uh, the government of Israel, um, uh, comply yeah. with international yeah. humanitarian law. I will note, though, that throughout all of this, Hamas certainly has not been. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what I'm other than the one thing you're actually talking about, which literally was protected international law, which is the armed rebellion. You're, I mean, that's what they're really pointing at when they say that. They're not talking about the individual actions of kidnapping civilians or shooting civilians. That's not what he's really talking about. But that doesn't matter because they're lying about everything. I'm saying is I'm not going to uh, opine on any uh, forthcoming um, ruling on this. And I will reiterate again that uh, at the crux of this, when these arguments started um, uh, the, the week before <laughs> last, that was rooted in this uh, notion that... Um, uh, and these allegations that Israel is committing genocide, and I will say again that uh, we find those allegations to be unfounded. But, but in general, when I'm, when I'm caught, uh, uh, it's ruling on something. Yeah, you can you can argue that you don't you don't agree with with South Africa's argument, but it sort of undermines the legitimacy of of the whole system. If if right, you know, the U.S. is not yeah, it's not saying ahead of time whether whether this this ruling is meaningful or, or whether you would expect smoke. countries to follow it. Again, I, I will just say, and you've heard me say this before, our expectation is that uh, uh, Israel uh, needs to and must comply with international humanitarian law, but I'm not going to get ahead he, of tomorrow. He won't say it. They, that's a, that is very deliberate. Uh, or any expected ruling on this. Setting aside opining on how the ver how the preliminary verdict might come out, would the U.S. at least commit to not vetoing enforcement of whatever the court rules one way or the other? Uh, now this, this comes into play, like we, I think we mentioned earlier, about after it, right? So that applies to now. That applies to the preliminary, the provisional ruling, but it will also apply later to whatever they rule. The point is the United Nations can now, at, from the Security Council, can create other resolutions that will argue that they're, they are obligated to take the provisional measures that the ICJ put forward. But of course, as I just pointed out, the U.S. could just veto that. It doesn't change the provisional ruling from the ICJ, but then all of a sudden you have the United Nations not have, you know, it becomes toothless ultimately, right? So the point would be, they're simply saying, will you at least argue, will you at least take the stand by not vetoing the, the general ruling of literally everybody else in the world? Of course they won't. 
Would the U.S. at least commit to not vetoing enforcement of whatever the court rules one way or the other? Uh, I'm not going to commit to any action uh, from, uh, from up here. That's but to not pick up on Matt's question works. from earlier, do, doesn't that undermine yes. the U.S. Insist, U.S. insistence that other countries ought to follow these court rulings? Obviously. What does it leave of the kind of rules-based order <laughs> if countries can pick and choose decisions? That's certainly not uh, what uh, I was indicating. Um, <laughs> He's so lost. Again, I think we need to take a step back here because a uh, decision has not come down and no one... Uh, Let's here, see, it's not what he's... They're asking if and when it does, and he knows that. ...knows, unless you can tell the future, what exactly that will be. And uh, the point implicit in that is if we don't like the ruling, then we'll disagree, which is the whole point of the question. He's trapped himself logically here. Um... I'm not going to commit any U.S. government action uh, from up here within the um, auspices of any body. Uh, what I can say is that we believe that the uh, um, uh, the the allegations that started this process that Israel is committing right genocide, back to the we believe point. those to be unfounded. unfounded. Uh, simultaneously, though, we'll continue to raise with our Israeli partners right the back to moral it. and strategic bah, 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 imperative bah, 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 bah. that they need to take additional. Uh, steps, steps to minimize uh, deaths on civilians. There you go. Uh, but I'm not going to uh, get into this process beyond that. <laughs> it's so painful. I mean, my God. And I agree, as Kaylee says, which I've said every time. This is why I, I think Decentered News is a great job clipping these up. Thank God for them, because otherwise I would never even see it because I can't stand it. I used to watch these things religiously. And it would take like 45 minutes for me to go through because everything they say is ridiculous and wrong. I mean, it's like they lie about everything. And that's what she says in the chat. What an epic waste of time these briefings are. Every, like, they know they're lying. Their job is to obfuscate. That's what it is. And then the people asking the questions know their job is to obfuscate. So their job is to try to do what they just did right there, which is through logistics, lo like logic, lo logical holes and language trap them into essentially accidentally not saying you see my point like they you, they will never tell you what they're the, what they're supposed to say but you can suss out the truth by trapping them logically like that and just because i think it's a funny time to play this this is exactly what the real point is and they all know it anyway welcome to the state department i think we have some interns in the back welcome uh good to see you in this uh exercise and transparency and democracy <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's it real. is? That's Matt Lee speaking. Sorry, I thought it was, I didn't mean, a, I didn't mean thought it was an exercise, of, an exercise in spin and obfuscation. All right. Yeah, very real. That's a very real clip that really actually happened. And Matt Lee, the point was the guy is just. Then I think he. I don't know. I think he lasted much long after that. <laughs> he just broke into laughter about the transparency and democracy. Oh my god, that's so dumb. Because they all know, guys, it's ridiculous. Now, going forward, Arnaud Bertrand writes, this is quite a sign. Seems like Israel has even lost Chatham House. The very heart of the Anglo establishment with its director themselves saying, Israel has always had objectives that are difficult to reconcile. One is getting hostages back, and the other is pursuit of Hamas. What do you know? A logical statement that's very obvious to see that those two things directly contradict each other. He goes on to say, I am unconvinced, as are a lot of other people, that the technique they have chosen, which is bombarding Gaza and flattening it, is going to achieve either of those things. They've lost it, guys. Everybody sees through it. I don't think it's because they care. I think it's because they recognize that the peons, whatever you want to say, the average people, 
Everybody like that is very aware of this. And so these powerful people, the authority figures that want to maintain their power are like, whoa, okay, they've lost it. So we have to walk this back. That's what I think is actually happening. Both media, people in power, politicians, they see the writing on the wall. And they care about, first and foremost, their own power. So this is Chatham House, which is the, you know, uh, the Chatham House rules. It comes from the original Chatham House, which is that they aren't allowed to speak about what they talk about and so on. So this is a kind of core concept. And it says she was also very critical of, quote, Western countries above all, I guess the woman, excuse me, above all of the U.S. for allowing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to fester and for Israel to abuse its power to expand its settlements in the West Bank and in, in land earmarked for future Palestinian states, which is what it is. The consent and the, the people talking about the two-state solution know that they keep taking parts of what they claim was part for Palestine and just keep pretending like that's going to happen. Now we're hearing Israel finally admit openly everywhere that it'll never happen. But if you've paid attention, they've always been saying that, which shows you how disingenuous the whole thing is, especially when you remember that they funded Hamas in order to stop that exact concept. I always secondarily think about it. I'll grab it really quickly. One day this won't be there anymore. But, you know, as Ham- as Haaretz very clearly covered that the point was if they want to stop the two-state solution, which is what they keep pretending they wanted, they argue in 2019, which it wasn't on the record at the time, that they have to keep funding Hamas. That's what it says right there. And that's part of their strategy. Right? So what we're talking about is the U.S. government saying, we no, we all want two-state solution. Well, they are supporting the illegal occupation of more Palestinian land and the funding of the group they used to, not, to justify doing it. It's crazy. And thank God people are finally starting to see all this stuff. The consent for many of many countries for supporting the old older order, excuse me, is unraveling. And this is partly because of the accusation from many countries that those that wrote the rules 70 years ago wrote them in their own favor and respect them only when it suits them. Yep. It needs to be answered if support for international law and institutions is to continue. There is not many there are not many countries that initially denied Israel a right to respond to the deliberate slaughter by Hamas on October 7th. But Israel's bombardment and constant and constraint on humanitarian aid has lost it much of the world's support. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been saying. Now, I don't believe that Chatham House here is going to care about the reestablishing some kind of rules-based order. It's going to be just a, a, a vying for who gets to set the new rules that benefit them in particular. That's Hopefully, we can potentially change that, but hardly think it's going to happen. Call me a pessimist. Add this as I always do. So, how they responded, which is kind of hilarious. Now, I'm going to try to wrap this pretty quickly since we're getting close to three. Wyatt Reed, simply pointing out, it's, you know, here's how all these Israeli people that responded, the, the, specifically officials. Outrageous, anti-Semitic, disgrace, like all the, what you would expect. You're all racist and you suddenly hate Jews simply because you point out that we're murdering people in Gaza. Does that make sense to anybody? Only people that are manipulators. Now, look, I've always said, sure, that maybe there's an overlap somewhere. But you can't just dismiss genuine criticism as racism because it suits your interests. Now, here is one of the uh, Israel defense minister, Yoav Gallant. The state of Israel does not need moral preaching to separate terrorism from a civilian population in Gaza or to separate terrorism. The International Court of Justice in The Hague went above and beyond when it granted South Africa's anti-Semitic request to discuss that. You already know where it's going. That's where all of this goes. Here's what Netanyahu said. In English, of course, because it's always aimed at American audiences. Commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country. It's the same stuff. 
the same old things. Just skipping right past the fact that the world court ruled you're a liar, and that's not true. But you just go, we abide by national law, we care about it, and we're only doing this for our freedom. It's the same things you get from U.S. politicians. And defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend it. Uh, same old, same old. I mean, don't waste your time. It's the same stuff. We don't care. We're not going to abide by the ruling, and they're all racist. Does that sum it up? It's exactly what just happened. Ben Gavir slams the ICJ as anti-Semitic, says Israel should ignore the ruling. Right, but they'll force it on anybody else if the ruling goes against Iran or China or anybody else they don't like. Here's another one. Israeli Prime Minister, senior advisor and spokesman, you've seen him, Mark Regev, claims in a TV interview that now apparently South Africa has manipulated the convention to serve Hamas. So now what is it? A, is it a, did you, did they, is it a stolen election here we're talking about? Or are they now suddenly undermining the voting process? Like, they're desperate, guys. And guess what they've never done with any of these claims? Proven even a fraction of them. Are we now to believe South Africa's working with Hamas? Where's the evidence? They, they've they manipulated the convention process? Prove it. They just float whatever, and everybody that supports them blindly will go, oh, I knew it! That's what happened. It's just like the two-party paradigm in this country. Here's the representative, I guess, for life of the October 7th. You know, it's just which I continue to think is ridiculous. The more and more and more they continue to genocide people in Gaza, Israel takes seriously, it says, its obligations to prevent genocide. It's interesting he would say that on the 26th. Well, all of the rest of the leadership is going, We don't care. You're a liar. You're a racist, which is the exact opposite of its obligation to prevent genocide. It says, That is why we are fighting the terrorist monsters who burned whole families to ash on October 7th. So his his response to being accused of genocide by the world court on a real way is to go back to the lying atrocity propaganda because that's desperation. Because remember, the point was that wasn't Hamas. The ones that were burned to ash were provably not by Haaretz investigation, by multiple Israeli outlets proving this, by people that saw it happen because of Hellfire missiles, tanks firing on homes that burned down. And that's why they conflated those 200 Hamas members that they burned alive alongside the other members of their people that were burned alive because they did it at the same time. It's very easy to prove. The 40 beheaded babies, the people burned alive, all these things. Even Oren Jones from The Guardian said there's no evidence of this. It's all been shown to be lies. And I said, you're still using lies after that has all been debunked. The bodies were provably burned due to IDF attack since Hamas did not have the capability to create what we saw. That's the biggest point. And numerous tank operators, helicopter pilots have admitted firing on civilians. But again, your response to that high level accusation is go right to the lies. Clearly, that's what his job is. Might as well work at the State Department. He then says Hamas's response to the ICJ decision has been to fire rockets at Ashkel, at, at uh, Israeli city and released sick propaganda video with three women hostages. Is that the response? No. Here's the response. Do you want to hear it? The Hamas movement is following with great attention the discussions taking place within the International Court of Justice following the lawsuit that was uh, put forward by uh, the government of South Africa in order to put an end to the war of genocide against our people in the Gaza Strip. In light of this, the stance of the Hamas movement is actually built on the principles of reciprocity and international law represented in the following three points here first off if the court in the hague decides to enforce a ceasefire the hamas movement will commit to the ceasefire as long as the enemy commits as well and that's interesting right 
because the whole argument they keep pretending is we're not going to cease fire where Hamas fires rockets. Well, you clearly don't understand what ceasefire means or you're pretending not to. And you could argue that the terrorists won't abide by it whenever you want to frame it as, but they're telling you at the very least that we will abide by it if they do. So the point really becomes that Israel does not want to relinquish their military campaign. Because obviously, I mean, obviously it's in the best interest of Hamas at this point to have a ceasefire. So that's the point is they don't want that to stop. It's not about anything other than their agenda. So the only one acting against international law at this point, and I'm not trying to include other things that have happened before this, just right now in this moment is Israel. They're, you know, if they continue firing after Israel stop, well, then you could say Hamas is terror. That would prove your point, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you want to do that? But I don't think that's what will happen. I think obviously they'll stop and Israel will stop and that's not what Israel wants. So they keep going under the guise that Hamas won't. You're just using, you're accusing them of that which you are guilty. Classic. Second, the Hamas movement will release the Zionist detainees it is currently holding if the occupation state releases Palestinian detainees being held in Israel. All Palestinian detainees being held. Third. So important. One of the key parts of it is they will release all of their hostages. This has been the stated reality for a while now. And yet what they go back to is that the, it's the obligation is on them to release everybody and then we'll decide going forward. Like, I don't care if you think it's a terrorist group or not. Why would that make sense? They're just going to give up their only leverage and then just hope that you deal with them properly. Israel will completely annihilate them like they plan. I, I don't, quite frankly, I think that what we are seeing is the interest of the Israeli government in not wanting these people to come home. Look, the, the Hannibal Directive is all proven. I mean, they've admitted it. Their own colonels, multiple people in the military. They're killing their own hostages, guys. We have to come to terms with that. The enemy must put an end to its blockade. And I mean the Zionist entity must put an end to his blockade that has been going on for 18 years against the Gaza Strip and must allow for the complete and unobstructed entry of all relief aid for our people in the Gaza Strip, as well as all the necessary requirements for reconstruction after the destruction that was sown by the enemy in the Gaza Strip. In the same context, we call upon all governments, all countries, all humanitarian organizations in the world to continue to file lawsuits in the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court against the Zionist occupation as well as its political security and military leaders in order to bring to light their acts of aggression and present them to trial as war criminals. We also call, call upon them to ramp up lawsuits against Zionist officials in all countries and all capitals of the world that they're visiting in order for us to prosecute the leaders of this fascist entity, in order to expose this entity and bring to light its acts of aggression against the whole world. And an example is what happened recently in Switzerland, the lawsuit that was brought forward against the criminal, the president of the Zionist entity, Herzog, who was signing the shells being launched by Zionist artillery and airplanes against our people and killing our women and children. So what's what's really interesting to me, th can you imagine how much it, it infuriates the Zionist people out, the Zionist manipulators out there who are, you know, their whole argument is this is an illegitimate terrorist group. And suddenly, and you, that may very well may be the reality or what you think. The point, though, is that they, and again, the group they've been funding to be the manipulator. And now all of a sudden they're getting like this international attention. And ultimately they're getting, it's like, think about how infuriating that must be. Now, what he says here. 
their response has been to fire rockets. Well, you, nothing's changed, right? So you're, you're arguing that somehow Hamas should respond to their ruling when it's aimed at you, but you shouldn't. So you're going to deny what they're doing and then call out Hamas for continuing to fight. Why would they feel obligated to stop what they're doing because of the ICJ ruling aimed at Israel? Like, again, this just screams desperation. These people are drowning right now, and they're just pulling up whatever they... Really? <laughs> they fi- So are they not in the middle of an ongoing genocide? Is the firing a rocket back is somehow... You know, it's just, it's so contorted or con- 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 manipulated. And they put out a video, by the way, of three women hostages in the same way they keep doing, saying, you're killing us. You're going you're gonna to let us die because that's what they're doing. My point is, I said, you're lying as usual. Below is their response, which you just watched. What you're discussing, though, is defense, right? By your own broken definition, right? Firing rockets because you're being attacked. Isn't that self-defense? Oops, I guess only when you do it. The video is again showing the hostages your government has been killing and continuing to try and kill. The world sees this now. Now, I'll include this video, or no, uh, this one from Uncaptured, from, from Dan Cohen, which is three minutes. It's important to watch. It really does kind of sum up the reality of all the different Israeli hostages, as well as people that were involved with what happened in Kibbutz Be'ere, on the record saying they killed civilians, we're watching them kill civilians, families that came back and say they watched them bomb them next to them. I mean, it's, and, and again, the colonel and other IDF members on the record saying this was a mass Hannibal. It's impossible not to understand this. And what I think is hilarious here, this person responds, the ICJ decision for Hamas is to release hostages unconditionally. <laughs> Is that how you took that? So their argument is the like so the, everything they keep saying, ceasefire. Oh yeah, then good. Release the hostages and we'll and we'll end this. Well, that's not what they're asking for. They're saying stop killing people right now, and then we can do that because your point is you're bombing them into freedom. You're killing your own people as well as anybody else that's there. But now that the ICJ says you have to stop, they go okay, we will as soon as they release the hostages because that's what the ICJ said, right? Stop this, so release the hot. Like it's like it's like a sickness. Like a mental sickness. Like you can only put this in this, in the context of they have to do this first. Otherwise, we'll keep murdering, but it's not murdering because we're the good guy. It's painful. Now, rapidly, rapidly here. Biden is being, I'm, I'm going to go over the rest of this probably in the next show. Biden makes history. First sitting U.S. president to be sued for complicity in genocide. Good. And, you know, and quite frankly, if Trump was in power or is, anybody, it's not a left-right thing is the point. It's not just Biden, Okay. Every one of them are wildly pro-Zionist, and they all make that clear. He just happens to be the one in the seat when this went off. And he and the government is complicit. And it, it, it is happening right now. This person, Dina Takuri, is inside the U.S. federal court where Palestinian plaintiffs are suing Biden and Blinken and Austin for failure to prevent and complicity in their ongoing genocide. And it's not it's not something small. Like this, she's going over this. And saying it, they arguing they arguing that the, they violated international law by failing to prevent genocide, and that goes back to the point we made before, because of international law, they're obligated. And she's saying cases of childbirth in the streets are widespread at this time. Heartbreaking testimonies from Palestinian plaintiffs. The part I thought was so interesting. She's saying the Biden administration has two lawyers here as his defense. She's sitting in there. She's saying she's sitting 15 feet away from them, watching them take in this devastating testimony of how Israel's U.S.-backed genocide in Gaza has killed family and friends of the Palestinian plaintiffs, how Gaza is no longer what it was. Animals cannot survive these kind of conditions. Like watching them deal with that and, and ignore that and go right back to arguing that it's illegal or not genocide. It's disgusting. Point is, it doesn't seem like it's just going to disappear. I'm glad to see that. They deserve to be held accountable. Now, couple, two last points on this I think is interesting in the ceasefire context. Iran spoke up 
and said the U.S., or rather, I take it back, the, the reason it wasn't Iran, but the point was they're framing it as Iran says U.S. will be hit hard if no ceasefire in Gaza. Let's not forget that there's already people connecting the Texas discussion to Iran because they'll connect it to whatever they can for partisan talking points. But it could be, sure. Or Hamas coming through the southern border like they keep pretending. The point is it's going to be whoever you want it to be. But guess what? This was Mohammed Reza Ashtiani. Not a small person, but a brigadier general. Okay, so every time Milley says something, do we argue that's what the U.S. government's going to do? Every time Lindsey Graham comes up and says, nuke them, does we believe that's what the policy is going to be? But that's always how this goes in reverse, right? Anybody Iranian says that over there, we go, Iran threatens X, Y, and Z. Well, what he said is they'll be hit hard if they do not implement a ceasefire. You could argue that means violence, and maybe it does. Maybe he was legitimately threatening them. But it's quite a bit different to kind of contort this into what you want it to look like than literally someone like Lindsey Graham going, assassinate him murdering <laughs> like just openly being the very thing so i think it's, it's interesting and this is newsmax of course because it's very 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 partisan but i think this is where it all comes back to you're creating the justification here to make it look like there's an immediate threat to the u.s at the same time there's a texas border threat from outside threat like it's all building in very obvious ways and here is what the israeli government just said iran is now a legitimate target for israeli strikes what think about that for a second now, I don't know if that's going to translate, because I think it'd be a pretty stupid move of Israel to do this right now, to actually striking Iran, but think about how dangerous that is, and why. I know they love to scream that everything going on is Iran's fault, but there's no evidence to that. I guarantee they support what's happening, and you know what? Maybe they are doing it all, but they love to say that when I've proven to you that it's not true about any other group we're talking about, the PMU, about the Houthis, about, about or excuse me, the Ansarallah movement, about Hamas, about any of them. They love to make a Hezbollah. It's not Iran entities. These are real entities that are popular groups from the government or from the, the peoples of these countries. And Iran supports them both ideologically and their obvious plight to make them a legitimate target. That's going to, this is, this is what I feel is Israel driving this into a level that cannot be walked back from that will drive the U S to take action. That will just distract everybody from what they've been doing. Now the genocide has continued. Despite being accused of genocide and the ICJ and everything that's happened, they went not just back to usual, but went harder. Murdering people in real time, children, 200 dead Palestinians just in 24 hours on the 25th. Here's, here's an image of, the, of them, of Israeli soldiers on their own channels, proudly publishing them, destroying an ambulance. Because that's totally not a war crime. It totally is. They don't care. Here is a video simply saying there's no place safe in Gaza. And you can watch as they are shooting people everywhere, as they walk places they're told to go. I've shown you this so many times. This is now. It's today, yesterday. Here's the crazier part, which continues to show you that one of two things, that they're literally shooting anybody that moves, which is what most Palestinians are telling you, which includes, by the way, their own hostages, or that they just don't care and it's frivolous. An ex-Israeli soldier infiltrated Gaza alone, and this is per Haaretz, unarmed, they cl he claimed to fight single-handedly or rather, as his family says, was his argument before he left. He walked 500 meters unimpeded, which is pretty interesting. Then an Israeli drone bombed him into pieces. Uh, oh, this is after he, basically after he began to walk back. They killed him. His family says, why kill an unarmed man? Where, where are the open fire regulations? Yeah, you get the point? 
They're lying about everything. They're killing anything everywhere they want, no matter. This is Wild West. Really, it's about combination, in my opinion, about ethnic cleansing, just murder when they want to, and driving and, and creating the settlements and, and controlling the oil and everything else that's going on there, as well as much larger agendas. The point is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Israeli, if you're Palestinian, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, they, you're, you're going to get killed because they don't care. And quite frankly, I think it's because they're trying to kill what they perceive as the hostages. I think that's proven. But just think about how crazy that is. And then here is the uh, chairman of Europe, Europe Med, European Med, Med uh, Human Rights Group. And this is even CNN, which continues to show you. And you can, I'll, I'll include this later. The point is an unprecedented TV investigation by CNN captures cases of sniper operations killing Palestinian citizens while carrying white flags. But there's been so many, and this is the one you've seen. We've shown you this one. So this is just CNN breaking down one we've seen before. But this, you could clearly see them wearing, carrying white flag, getting waving it, getting shot, and then having people run away. And this happens over and over and over. Don't care. At the mean, while they're committing genocide harder than ever, up to 117 children a day, Belgium just gave them 16 tons of gunpowder because you know we support genocide in Belgium. And then of course the United States continues to sell them F-35s. Uh, 25 F-15s, 12 Apache helicopters, after 112 days of genocidal Gaza war. This is Times of Israel. Advancing deals with the U.S. to purchase all these different things, 25th. And of course, this is a political article, a bill that will be due. Pentagon's Middle East buildup costs $1.6 billion that apparently they're unable to figure out right now. That they can't get the law, the law, lawmakers can't pass a budget because, you know, we're broke. That's why, because they spend all of the money on war and $6.2 billion was an error that went to Ukraine to show you how they play the games of this stuff while you're being taxed to hell and they're destroying everything to get there. Now, I'm going to go over this probably tomorrow just because I'm going to want to talk about this more. But just briefly, there's the allegations being floated about the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency. And I think it is painfully ridiculous. Now, that's not to say that there might not be some member of Hamas that happens to work at a UN agency. The point is, first of all, as Ryan Grimm writes, so for, I think this is the most important point. Oh, and I guess I, I didn't say it first. The State Department has now put a hold on funding for the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, which, by the way, is the one of the only, if not the only location that has been actually giving refuge to people in Gaza. That's why they keep bombing the locations that they hold them in. Tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds, the hospitals, whatever else. And those are the schools that are there for the children, which they argue are training them to be terrorists. But there's, there's a, you know, intermittent examples of certain things, even though you can show to the teeth the type of examples they're doing in Israeli schools by teaching them to hate Palestinians, which is egregiously obvious. Check out Abby Martin's discussions on this stuff. But they, and his point is, so the U.S. does apparently know how to stop funding from flowing after allegations of war crimes. It just doesn't apply it when it's happening to Israel, right? So you're willing to stop funding during a, a humanitarian crisis, if you, whatever you want to call it, that we know is happening because of allegations, knowing that that will hurt people on the ground even more because that's, that's like the, the only, I mean, think about how gross that is. He says the head of the U.N. agency said the contracts with these 12 people have been ended and an investigation is underway. And that's based on they, that's not approvable. They just ended these 12 uh, contracts because they were allegations floated and they're taking the right steps. The IDF soldiers and the media regularly post direct evidence of Israeli war crimes, yet there hasn't been a single announcement of investigation beyond the three people they killed. 
Like, how do you not see how gross and crazy this is? It says, for context, more than 10,000 Palestinians work for the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency in Gaza. It's one of the larger employees. So how you could argue simply that there may be some kind of overlap, but you should damn well prove that when you're immediately stopping funding during a genocide and a starvation campaign based on the fact that they might as well, they might just be people that work there that happen to also be part of Hamas, which is a gigantic political group that, by the way, was funded by Israel. But on top of that, how do we know that their allegations are accurate? Because guess what? Well, he also, he just, oh, that was just something else was deleted. I'll come back to this later. I'm going to cover this more. U.S. pauses funding. After the fact, and of course, here comes Mr. Propaganda, UNRWA, and just is a Hamas front. Great. So you've got 12 people you think are connected to Hamas, and yet all of it now becomes a Hamas front because you're pathetic. It literally covers Hamas. What he's showing in here is a bunch of UNRWA tweets where they're going, you can read it for yourself. In Covering up for Hamas, if you want to see a cover-up, look at what they're doing right now with regard to 30,000 people they've killed over here. But here's the best part. Guess where the source comes from? From Israel. The source of the evidence against UNRWA are interrogations by the Shin Bet, FBI of Israel, or the occupation forces, who are provably known over the years for extracting false confessions, which the UN has written about via torture, blackmail. And here's just a bunch of examples of different articles covering this. The Shin Bet breaks you. You'd be insane not to give a false confession. Israeli interrogation could lead to false confessions, says Israeli court. What do you know? Now, just in case we always find the actual information. Here it is. Sack staffers who allegedly participated. It says Israel provided, of course, right there. That doesn't mean it's fake, but my God, don't you think they have an interest in making this case? Israel provided intel that incriminated these 12 employees. And they immediately removed their, their contracts, which is kind of crazy if you ask me, because we don't know what's really going on. And that then still makes them supporters of, I mean, it's just pathetic. It says the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees said Friday that it had sacked several employees. It says, and this is the main part, a senior Israeli official told Axios News that Shin Bet and the IDF were the ones that provided the information that pointed them to this. Really? It says this was strong and corroborating intelligence, the officials told Axios, that we don't get to see. That's how that works. A lot of intelligence is a result of interrogations of militants who were arrested on October 7th, who we've already proven to you many, many, many of them were not even remotely connected to Hamas and have been forced, two of which we can prove, into saying things that we later prove were false. Remember? One of them was forced to say they raped all these women. One of them was forced to talk about beheading people. Both of those things have proven out to be false allegations, at the very least, specifically the beheadings. I, I, there's no proof about the rape allegations, but you know who knows things could shift. My, bottom line, these things turn out false statements. And yet here is Mr. Eli David himself. Hamas! Uh, well, actually, no, though. That pretty much looks like a security guard, though. That's what he says, a policeman carrying a baton. To guard aid going to distribute center is a crime. It's just there. It's just desperate, guys. It's desperate every which way you look. Now, let's just say that was Hamas. It's very. You are the ones that keep telling us that they are the ones that manage Gaza, even though it's not true, really. So the point is that you're telling. So they would be involved in processes. And what are you gonna? What are you pretending these hospitals and groups are gonna do? fight against what you tell us is a terrorist organization? Like, just logically think about it. So even if it was a member there, it's just, it's not the same as saying that that proves anything that they're arguing. But overall, to realize that they're the ones that force confessions of things that you can't prove, and they've later, not, they've given you no evidence to back up, 
sort of sounds like everything else we've been hearing. And here's another side of it. Israel's permanent representative to the UN accuses the head of the WHO, someone who we know is corrupt, by the way, of collusion with Hamas. Like, they're eating themselves at this point. He's on your side of most of these things we're talking about, but they accuse Tedros of collusion with Hamas simply because he apparently broke into tears while speaking about what's going on in Gaza. They can't abide by that. So suddenly, with no evidence, it becomes you're with Hamas because you're now doing things we don't like. There's no evidence, though. We just love to say things like that. That's how dumb this is. And he responded by saying he refutes the accusations. Then collusion with Hamas, turning a blind eye to the suffering of hostages as they literally kill them. You understand how dumb that is? Such false claims are harmful and can endanger staff and then so on. Of course, Eli Levy has to respond. Ham- abdu- the Hamas abducted hostages into Shifa. Oh, yeah, now you're bringing that back up. You know, the example of when they brought a hostage to get medical treatment, <laughs> which is the opposite of what's been happening in, in anybody you put in Israeli prisons. And even then, through the front door. This is the same point I'm making. So what do you expect the doctors to do when they come through with a gun in an area you're telling us that they control when these people are just trying to help civilians? Are they supposed to fight them? Like, you see my point? Like, this is just becoming so self-serving in every way they go. I, but remember, we covered this. It wasn't even remotely what they were claiming. He says, you said nothing and continued to cover up Hamas's abuse. No, he didn't. I hate this person, but no, he didn't. Of hospitals for military purposes. No, that was your broad allegation that we later proved definitively false in almost every way, especially at the Shifa Hospital. But who cares, right? Narratives are fun, right? These people are lunatics. And I'll I'll do I'll get into this later. This is just about a clip that I thought was interesting. And we'll end with this. He says, for years we wondered if the Holocaust happened today, where would people stand? Yeah, you know what? We're all kind of asking the same thing. Except you frame it as, then October 7th happened and they showed us. The rest of the world is going, and then you committed genocide and proved to us that you didn't care. That's the point. Everybody cared about October 7th. I mean, literally everybody. Even people that were like myself, who are critical of Israel, were like, wow, that's crazy. The people that die, we talk about. But the only time we realized there was a massive group of people that couldn't care less about genocide was when you committed genocide against Palestinians. That's why I showed you this down here. This is from today. Ministry of Health which they've now, remember, proven of their own intelligence apparatus that, that, is, that what they're saying is correct. Israel committed 18 massacres, 18 in the past 24 hours, killing 174 people and wounding 310. That's after the genocide ruling. You think they care? My God. But thank God people are paying attention. Thank you for tuning in today, guys. It's so important that we get more attention to this. Now, the, the first topic I think is very important, and I'll continue following this. I want to stress again, I believe this is a manipulation. I can't really suss out just yet, if you know, assuming that that's correct, where it's really stemming from. I have my concerns, but I believe strongly that your government is actively trying to trick you into something. Please do not fall for it. The last thing I think you should be doing is rushing out there to stand in some violent resistance to your federal government. Not to say that you don't have a legal right technically to do that. It's enshrined in the Constitution. I do not support violence, and I do I think violence begets violence, and I think they're desperate to drive you to violence. There may have been a time in history where that was the, the way to solve things. At this point in time, you're dealing with a nuclear-powered country. I do not think it makes sense. Or even let's just take it to because I don't think that would be logical. Their, their weapons are so advanced. Their surveillance, their... You know, the the things that we don't even understand they're using are so for the idea being that they will manipulate situation to be in their benefit. And they're asking, I think they're pleading with you in their actions to get you to do it. Don't fall for it.
Thank you for tuning in today. I love you all, as always. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible. One-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.